and girls for another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, thank you for joining us. This show is better than a fatal accident. Joining us tonight is Dr. Kevin Proden. He's the host of the Safety Doc podcast. I was going to say the Safety Documentation Podcast, but that would make no sense. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Abracadabra. Proud to be here. Much respect to all of you out there in the chat room. And of course, much respect to all of those outside of America for supporting the program great to see all of you out there. I also wanted to acknowledge our new home on the Conspiracy Radio Network. It's a 24-7 stream with many, 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 many familiar voices out there. Yeah. Did I say many? Yes. Hello to all of you out there who are currently listening over on CRN, also on TalkStream Live. Hello to all of you boys and girls out there. Lots to jump into here tonight, so it's that time to get down to brass taxes, and I believe our guest is ready to go. Let's bring him right in. Doctor, how are you? Good. I'm, I'm good. And, uh, and Michael, just so we're not going with aliases tonight. Sure. Um, it's not Kevin Proden. It's David Proden. I say that 
What do you what do you introduce me? You said Kevin. I I know a Kevin Proden, and I don't want to take any credit for the fine work that he's doing. So I was confused because I'm looking at this photo <laughs> here, and you know, you look like you are part of the mob. I I do. I my hair is back. Yeah, I look like my cousin Vinny. Um, I think I only had my hair that way for maybe like a month, but I love that photo. Yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, and I still have my hair, right? You know, so I can still pull it off. It's just a little, a little bit more salt and pepper these days. And you can't see me on camera because I have no webcam in front of me. But what I did for all of you out there and including yourself, David, in your honor, I combed my hair back. I have the gangster look because I thought you were a part of the mob. But, you know, I just wanted to fit in wow. with you. Well, I appreciate that. You yeah, got I, it, my I friend. I appreciate that. Yes. The chat room, they, they do like your photo, by the way. I like that image and I love what you, what you did to it. I, I'm actually going to ask you to send me uh, that image, um, you know, after the, after the show. You I, got I want to no use worries. that in some other places. No worries. No worries. And I was calling your podcast the safety documentation. I'm not quite sure why I was saying that, but I stopped myself. Yes. It's the safety doc, boys and girls. Yeah. Yeah. The safety doc podcast. So just a quick way, safetyphd.com. Um, if people go on YouTube, and search the Safety Doc Podcast. I have 153 episodes, um, all released in video, audio, a lot of interviews. And I also do a blog post, which is about a four or five minute read. Um, so it's, it's you know, it, it's it's curated, uh, really high quality content and terrific interviews. Um, and for your listeners, you know, I, I love your show, Michael. Um, and I, I think your listeners would find, um, you know, some, some of my shows that might resonate too. So... They can check out my, my channel. Yeah, you have a lot of great content, by the way. And of course, since this is your first rodeo here on the program, I thought it we is. could, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought we could sort of go over your background here, you know, a moment to sort of x ray your insides. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the older you get, the x rays uh, get more interesting. So, um, you know, I, w- I was, you know, thinking about how did I, how did I get to be somebody who, one, kind of studied. Safety, but safety is a pretty dry content area, right? I'm much more than a safety guy, quote right. unquote. You know, I, I am a, a researcher of chaos theory. And I mean that um, in, in the, the sense where um, I'm looking at systems under chaos, populations under chaos over time, um, what manifests, um, what's happening right now that people have missed. When I wrote my book, School of Errors, what did I find in there that people missed when they studied the, the Twin Towers attacks? So, um, Coming back to a kid. So I remember I, I lived a block away, not even a block away from a, a main railroad track in my town. Well, it was the only railroad track, but then actually there was a spur that went in back of our house. So like all the time, the trains are going past. Um, but at the end of that road, if I, it wasn't too far, there was the fire station. And back, back then, right back in the seventies and eighties, um, whenever there was a fire, they would, they would sound the siren in town. And, and a lot of listeners, you know, maybe are, you know, um, remember this, right? When they're growing up, especially if you're, you know, if you're close to my age, like late forties, um, you remember when there was a fire, they used to do the fire siren for, you know, like a minute or two. And then the firefighters would come down to the station. Well, I remember as a kid, you know, I'd be like five, six, seven years old. I'd hear that siren. I'd race out of the house and I would run down the, the road and, and I would look straight down the train tracks and then I could see the doors of the fire station. And, and eventually, you know, the firefighters would arrive, the, the doors would open up and the trucks would, would leave. And it was fascinating because I, I, 
I was like, well, you know, I know if the tanker truck leaves, it's a country fire. And I know if they do a second alarm, you know, it means this. And, and you started to learn these things, but, um, I, I, it stuck with me, right? I had this big interest from little on. I was always drawn to the onset of kind of disaster and crisis. When I got older, um, when I got into college, I had uh, one semester, I needed to fill out a couple of classes, you know, to graduate. And I could take anything that I wanted, you know, that's the benefit of working hard in, in college, right? But um, so I looked at it and and I could take firefighting courses, be, be licensed or trained as a firefighter. So I did that. I took these courses on on how to become a firefighter, uh, found them intriguing, like I couldn't get enough of it. And, you know, was also out in the field, you know, part of the class, you know, take the fire engines out, practice fighting fire stuff. Um, so then, you know, I got more hands-on safety. And I also loved um, fire investigation, arson investigations, trying to find the exact location where a fire started. Um, so so that was, you know, the, the early kind of uh, embodiment that brought me into this this kind of safety world. And then as as someone who was a school administrator for over 20 years and then you know, worked in other settings in administration, um, you know, there, there aren't a lot of hands that go up when you say, who wants to be the, the head of safety here or who wants to be in charge of safety, you know, drills and activities. And my hand always went up. You know, I always, I always found that stuff interesting. And at the end of my career, I worked at the uh, School for the Blind and oversaw um, safety operations and there was a two-alarm fire during lunch at the school food line. All students um, and staff evacuated safely. And to this day, I wrote about it in my book, School of Airs. It was a phenomenal, um, ex- successful exit because um, you know we it was it was non-negotiable, right? Everybody had to participate in this, and you had to understand how chaos would manifest if you're completely blind. <laughs> I mean, right. so like ahead of time, I'm working with staff and students. I'm like, how would you get out of here? I mean, cause you don't know where the exits are. And, and I think that's, that, that also just rocketed me up in my own knowledge of how do people who don't have, you know, like, like, you know, vision or hearing or some cognitive impairment or whatever, you know, interface with chaos. How are, how are kids handling chaos right now or elderly people handling Yes. Well, there's a, really wacky, that's, there's a lot of chaos tonight. That's There's a lot of chaos today. That's for sure. Absolutely. My goodness. Right. So. It's like where do we even begin um, <laughs> when we talk about chaos and um, what we are currently seeing right now in today's landscape? But before we even get to that part, I imagine you come. You're sort of you. You sort of came around the time when, let's say, Columbine was sort of fresh in the minds of many uh, school administrations out there. I'm sure you discussed those sort of scenarios as well, obviously. I did. I did. And, um, you know, some of my, some of my friends are parents um, who had um, their children either um, uh, killed or maimed at Columbine. Um, oh, my. So, so, yeah. So, that, um, it's interesting. I was just throwing that around uh, out there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I have, I have, uh, you know, close, close friends who are parents who've, who've had, uh, you, you know, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland. Um, so yeah, Columbine, you know, was like anything we had, uh, we hadn't seen anything like that in a school setting, um, you know, for years. Like if we go back to Bath, Michigan, I don't know, was it the twenties? Um, I presented on PBS a few times on school safety and, you know, you can go through and identify all of the previous you know, school shooting events, but we really didn't have anything like a Columbine. I mean, um, and, and, and so 
right, everybody was benchmarking to Columbine. Like, how should we fortify a school? I mean, fortification came to mind. Um, how, how, how do we work on our threat reporting systems? That was a big, a big question. And it, it's interesting. It was um, back in 2019, they, summer of 2019, they had a referendum at Columbine. And the referendum was to replace the school or rebuild it because it was never, Columbine was never supposed to be a school. Did you know that, Michael? I did not know that. <laughs> so no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't supposed wow. to be a school. It was built as a warehouse. And then the, um, the community was growing so quickly that they, they retrofitted it into a school. Um, so it actually had loading docks in the back and it still does to this day. Um, and, and so actually it's structurally a very poor <laughs> building. Like they're trying to replace it because of, you know, it's, it's crumbling and, and things like this. But, um, but yeah, the, the psychology of Columbine was, was insane. Um, and once I, once, you know, I started to talk to the parents and once I understood Klebold and Harris and the fact that Klebold and Harris, like, you know, they still worked a job at a pizza place up until a day or two before they did the shooting. And then they just said, Hey, we need off these days. We, we might not be coming in after this. I mean, they still did their job. They still went and were slinging pizza, even though they planned this attack, you know, that they were going to carry this. So this is, the psychology is unbelievable, right? Of, of that. So, so yeah. And I think a hard part for me as a safety person was everybody wanted to believe that every, you know, following school safety event would be another Columbine. So you couldn't get people to think about, yeah, it could be that, or it could be that a tornado hits your school. You know, like we've had 15 kids die in schools that have been impacted by tornadoes, like in the last decades and I mean, all of these things i mean i think that was a big thing if people started to to believe everything was going to be a, a, a columbine right and another question i have for you in regards to school shootings what crosses your mind when people say it was a false flag that it was a government inside job yeah i mean right the immediately sandy hook you know comes up Right. Because right. People, people show images. Um, and, and again, I mean, what, what is a source of, of, of these images of saying, well, here, here are, you know, gurneys or whatever. But, you know, if, if you, if you go to a high resolution photo, um, this is clearly not, um, a person on a gurney, like it's a mannequin or something like that. Um, I would, I, you know, obviously, uh, I, you know, I know, you know, the, I know the parents. I know the parents who have, who have directly, um, been impacted uh, by this, um, you know, losing, uh, not losing, having a child murdered. I mean, that's the way to describe it, having a child murdered. Um, but, you know, it is, you know, I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not a conspiracy theorist with school shooting. Um, I am very aware that um, school shootings have opened up a massive in, industrial complex um, or selling things to schools. Sure. So, so yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the things, there, there's a lot of things like, like, you know, I look at Sandy Hook for study, study Sandy Hook. Um, you know, had, had the front entrance not been an option to go in, I mean, a playground was, was an easily accessible area. You could have driven a vehicle up on a playground. And right. Things like this. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I, I get asked that. That you know, question from time to time. I would have of, to imagine that does get brought up into right. You know, yeah. certain things don't match up. But I would say, like, you could look at probably any disaster and things don't match up. Right, nine right. eleven. I mean, I had access to basically anything I wanted with the city of New York when I wrote School of Airs. So 
um, it, you know, School of Airs, I contacted the, the city <laughs> and I, I did a request to work with them to be able to review documents about 9-11. I, and I, so I thought mm-hmm. I was going to get turned down with that request because, you know, who am I? I've been on PBS a few times and I have a PhD. And, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. Like I study this stuff, but but yet, you know, it would be easy for them to say no. Sure, sure. Resource. And they said, yeah, they said, sure. Like, we'll work with you. Well, they, get, they signed a, a research person to me. And I was able to see a lot of the inside things and, and um, you know, a lot of documents and, and things that, that not necessarily were classified, but just never kind of made it into the mainstream because it were developmental documents. Um, I think there are always things you're going to see. I mean, like, why did Tower, what, six fall down? I mean, to this, like, I don't know. I'm looking at this up to this day. I'm like, that doesn't seem like that makes sense for a tower that's not directly impacted to fall. Because, for example, you know, I, I think, you know, like if, if we talk about, you know, cons- kind of conspiracy and things like that. You know, anyone listening, go back and look to the 1977 City Core Tower um, in New York City. So C- Tower Seven. Thank you, Solomon, for for correcting me on that. Yeah, um, Tower Seven. Uh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so 1977. Yeah, City Core. You know, built built this 59 story skyscraper. And then a year later, um, an engineering student pointed out that, hey, this could fail <laughs> because of the wind dynamics. And Le Mazur, the, the st- structural engineer, said, oh, my God, you're right. You know, so the city, they, they made this big cover up and it's, it's open. Le Mazur did a after 20 years, they had a gag order, but a thousand people knew about it. Um, it you can go online, find the, the lecture he did. I think it was at Stanford in 1996 or whatever. Um, and and they covered it up, right? The city covered it up. The newspaper covered it up. Um, the welders, all the, the various unions, they had to go in and, and repair this building. And they the thing is, they never evacuated the surrounding buildings, and they never told people that this building could fall down in a high wind. So, so I, guess, I mean, it's kind of a bird walk, but but yeah, in school in school safety, um, and you know, looking at sentinel events that happen, um, you know, I I do not um, have any questions that the events themselves are. Are authentic um right I, I i absolutely don't um but i had no you know, idea what... you were going to take us down this um road here with <laughs> building seven but i'm glad you did uh, because there's there's lots to talk about when you mentioned building seven or ta- you mentioned a tower and of course as soon as you said that for some reason i thought of the university of texas the tower shooting there the very yeah. famous uh tower shooting of um i believe it was august 1st 1966 I just pulled that one out of my back end there. Yeah. I'll tell you, I mean, so people ask me, I, uh, cause, okay. So, you know, I, I was able to write extensively about, um, the, the nine 11 attacks and, right. I, and I, and I took on a psychological angle and I worked with, um, Dr. Paul Rapp head of military medicine. And then again, had access to documents and, and, and my approach was let's deconstruct and figure out, okay, so 500,000 people are rescued in nine hours yeah. from lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Like, no, you never practice for this, right? <laughs> like, not every, you know, every Tuesday, go down and we'll try to figure this out. So Admiral Loy of the Coast Guard puts out this message, hey, if you have a boat, come down and help us. And like, you know, over 100 boats, about half of them tugs, come down, evacuate nine or 500,000 people in nine hours from lower Manhattan. How the hell does that happen? Like, how does that happen? Um, without anybody getting killed and in nine hours, this temporary autonomous zone that develops, not a Chaz type thing of a Seattle, but this temporary autonomous zone where people just know where to go, know what to do. And they just get people out. They're break, taking doors off for gangways to, to, you know, walk in. They're putting sheets and they're writing like Hoboken, you know, where they're going, stuff like that. 
but um, Hoboken, but we haven't heard that in a long Hoboken. time. Here. <laughs> yes. So you kind of, if you Shout can get to Hoboken, there. right, you can get a little <laughs> bit closer home. Yes. But, but what we're looking at, right, is we started to look at what were these people experiencing? The average age was 41 years old. Most of the people that were evacuated worked in finance. Right. So it gave us a pretty good start. So when they were growing up, what was happening in their lives during their formative years? Like when they were maybe like 10, 10 to 15. And what was happening was, um, for example, in 1983, they would have experienced this in their formative years of, of 1983 was the ABC movie, uh, the day after. So if anyone listening, you know, had, had seen that movie, ABC, um, television put it out the day after it was about nuclear war between the U S and Russia. It was extremely graphic. Um, you couldn't do it today. There's absolutely no way you could release this type of, 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 you know, primetime television. Um, Gorbachev contacted Reagan afterwards. It, it did, um, some, some, um, prompting to to have um, uh, treaties to do, you know decrease um, nuclear you know missiles ICBMs on both sides it was it was horrific right and it was a deep psychology too I mean it was based around Kansas City this farm um, this progression into nuclear war so you had that you had Rocky four um, happening um, Rocky and Sylvester Stallone versus Drago protagonist antagonist West versus by the way that was East. called the day after correct the day after. Okay. Yeah. So go in and, and check out some clips like on, on YouTube after the show. Wow. But the day after it, and I, I have the movie to this, when I watch it, um, I mean, yeah, I, I need to then get out for a, a day, get out biking or something like that to kind of level my mind because it is extremely um, accurate to what would likely happen in a, a full, you know, partial scale nuclear. In that scenario. Um, yeah. War. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, this was done. It's not dramatized, right? I mean, this this was really done to be. And you know, they had, you know, the the messages coming across the TV, how it would be, how the silos would activate, you know, outside of Kansas, how NORAD would would be shut down, and and um and then after it, the big part of the show though was afterwards of the fallout and the radiation and, and people, um, but but so you had that you had you had in the in in um. Rock and roll, right? Um, Sting, I Hope the Russians Love Their Children Too. Nana had a song, 99 Red Balloons, which was about- Great you know, song, by the way. Um, yeah. Classic. Yeah, it was about, you know, a battle with NATO in, in should NATO be in the um, in the Eastern Bloc or not. Um, so you had all of, the, and I mean, we can go, go through this, but the, the thing was like when people were growing up in the late 70s, 80s, it was clear that Russia was your enemy. Right. The Eastern Bloc was your enemy. And if anything bad happened, the government, our government would step in and protect us. So when people were standing at the at Battery Park after 9-11, 500,000 people, and they're looking out and these boats are coming in, what they're thinking is they're here to rescue us. Like these boats are going to save us. And that was a leap of faith, right? Because those boats could have just been getting out of the harbor. Maybe they're fearing that the harbor is mine. They don't want to get bombed or whatever. But people are manifesting this, like they want this rescue to happen. And that's why it was so orderly. So, um, you know, I'm the only one who's done that, right? Everybody looks at this from a very mechanical standpoint. And I'm like, yeah, there's this real this psychological transference dynamic that kind of made all this happen. And and what's interesting too, Michael, is like that wouldn't happen today. Like I said, if today, if we back people up, you know, of, of how people have been raised and, and people don't have this, you know, we have perestroikia, what in the in 86, 87 in, in Soviet Union kind of fell. Um, you know, it, I don't know what people would do. People would go very individual. People, well, I know what people do. Exactly. They would go to their cell phones and they would, uh-huh. would, yes. would look for what's, what people are telling them to do or what has the most likes on Facebook yeah. for the rescue. Um, so it's really strange. Like, um, you know, today people are completely looking, um, 
in, in all these directions for more of a popularity um, contest of, of what to do, what, what gets the most views and likes, and I'll go along with that. Definitely. And of course, looking back at some of the movies that have um, came uh, in and out of Hollywood, lots of movies could not be done today by today's standards. Um, for instance, like, let's say Blazing Saddles. Can you imagine uh, anyone recreating that today? It wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always keep a lot of dimes on hand. In case I, I come to one of those, yeah, whole booths out in the out in the desert with my horse. Right. No, and, I can't. <laughs> I yes. can't. Right, blazing saddles. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, <laughs> speaking of which, what, what do you make of today's sort of? Um, uh, how can we even label this? I'm not sure there is a label, but the everything with censorship today. What are your thoughts and opinions, especially with um, Parlor? Let's go down that route. Yeah. So, so parlor, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't on, uh, parlor, but I, I, I do a lot of people that have parlor accounts and well, to, you know, it, it was starting to set up, you know, you could start to see the, the shots over the bow from Twitter and, and, you know, from, from Apple and Google and things of like, you know, parlor, parlor is a threat, you know, to, um, because, you know, basically they can't, they, it, it's, what the, the argument was, it's unregulated speech or, or uncensored and anything that is private, um, should be, uh, doesn't fall under the, the, the first, um, amendment stuff anyway. I, but I, I, I was, I guess I was, I was not surprised, but if parlor, when parlor fell, it's like, okay, um, Google's not going to carry the app, got rid of the app. Apple got rid of the app and then the ISPs are getting pressure. And I, I saw that actually happening, Michael, in, um, uh, what was it? The, it's the Hatch, not the Hatch, Hatch Act, the Case Act, the new Copyright Act, which was signed into law December 27th. Start, it had a lot of stuff in there where saying like, you know, if, if people wouldn't comply with copyright or whatever, like the ISPs could be fined. Mm, I see. And, and then, so this doesn't have anything really to do with that so much, but it opened the door of, I could start to see the thinking of probably like the new administration. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, um, very concerned, you know, that, that parlor was, was shut down, right? Because if parlor can be shut down. And the other thing is like everyone who's ever posted to parlor, I believe someone went in and hacked this collective. Um, and I could be wrong on this, but I believe somebody, somebody obtained, you know, all of the posts that had been made to, to parlor and then was, was going to have some attempt to then publicize this so you know if you or i had posted to parlor that would be out there and parlor would be would be postured as this this horrible you know i don't have um, an account by the way speech you know for those wondering i don't have an account so so what um so yeah i I, so definitely it's a silencing i don't i don't think it makes us safer right if it does anything it, it drives people more underground but i i didn't perceive I, again, and I, I guess I wasn't I wasn't consuming parlor. I think it pissed off a lot of conservatives who donated their money. Yeah, they invested uh, quite heavily into parlor, and now they lost their their cash. So a lot of them are very angry, and understandably, I mean, I would be pissed off too if I lost a good chunk of change. Oh yeah, yeah, I I would be. And, I'd be mad too. And sure. you know, looking at this of of saying, you know, you really have to control now, right? If you're going to do a platform, you have to control the ISP <laughs> and and what I think there's only six like main ISPs in the world or some some cloud flare access. I don't know enough about that, but it's not that you just have 
the app or the site or the server, you have to control the ISP. And if Google or Apple decide to kick you off as an app, you're done. So unless you own this entire, you know, you can create this system, maintain it, own it, um, you have to play by these rules of the big players or else you get booted off. Um, and it's, it's horrendous, right? I mean, um, we should have section, section 230 is crazy, right? It, it was is. designed in the time right. before the contemporary internet. And there, there have been, you know, many legal attempts to bring, um, free speech into private platforms, extending it saying, you know, it, it should, the first amendment should apply to a Twitter, a Facebook, YouTube, and, and, and all of these, which I agree. Like, I think it should like contemporary, I think we've, we've come to, an area where this is an exchange of of marketplace. Well, hold on, David. Can you can you even believe that, David? By the way, that Twitter has become such an issue in our nation. Yeah, and so I have a Twitter account. You know, I don't have I don't have much much social media. I um, but I do have a Twitter account, and and yeah, I mean, it, and and who would have thought, right? That Twitter would become so polarizing, right? Um, I'm you know, just positions, and if you're blue checked, you know, I'm not blue checked, <laughs> but um. But yeah, that, and the thing is, right, right, Michael, like, you know, right. I, I work with clients all over the world. I, you know, I'm a university professor. So everything that I put out there. You're pretty I, public, uh, David. I'm, I'm public, right? I don't yeah. run an alias. Um, I, you know, I don't have a secondary, um, you know, person, you know, persona that I'm putting out there. So, and I did right. that from the start, but so I have to measure what I, I put out there because it, it, anybody could forward content and say, listen, you know, he's, He's taking a position in, in, in the, in the sands of time shift, right? Nothing is laminated to context and situations. So they can say, you know, well, David was in support of whatever. Mm. And now that's, you know, this person has turned out to be crazy or, you know, we're deeming them a lunatic. Or what a time to be alive. Gone, so. What a time and, to be alive, David. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, you have to be very aware and, and measured, which, which is odd. Um, because uh, again, you know, people are, are, are taking what you, you know, content that you might do today. I, I, so I teach, I teach legal issue courses to school superintendents and school administrators, right? Right. School leaders. Um, and, and the thing is, you know, I said every, everything in law, I've also served as an expert legal witness in, in court cases and everything is laminated to context and time. So if you did something, you know, if you or I broke a law, you know, and the court case comes in, we'd have to look at what the, what the law was at the time. We, we, you know, violated it allegedly. So if it happened four years ago, we'd have to go back. Okay. What was the law in 2017? But that's not the way the game works now, right? It's like, what happens? We're going to judge you versus what is in place right now. Like that's the court of public opinion. And you're screwed with that because like you can't say back at the time I said this or did this, this was the context and situation. Like I deem it was acceptable to do this in my discretion, in my actions, um, this was appropriate to do, or, you know, this is, and, and people want to judge you against what has happened right now. Um, you know, and it's, a, it's kind of that way in school safety. I mean, schools will be built and they'll be built to the, to, you know, what is deemed an appropriate safety level at that time. And then people want to judge them or, you know, look at the twin towers, right? They'll be like, well, why didn't it have this? Or why didn't it have that? It's like, well, because, you know, it was built in the seventies. I mean, this is what it was, was built for. And so retrofits, but we get into this dangerous area right now. Do people bring that up by the way? Nine eleven still? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they do. I get, I get a lot of questions about nine eleven. Um, Oh, what are the, what are the questions I get often? I get the, the tower seven question and I don't know. I mean, tower seven to me, 
is puzzling. <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, because I'm like, well, you know, you, it's, it's not like you didn't have the engineering to, to understand that, for example, New York City, um, every hundred years has so many like hurricane or tropical storm type, you know, experiences. And it's like this building should have been able to withstand some ancillary event happening nearby. Um, so that's like the first one. And then other people will ask questions. And so I just don't have answers. I got you know, a lot of this stuff. Be like, I don't know. Um, but, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, ask, uh, you know, the, the questions of, um, you know, why, you know, some things like, you know, why was it that Offutt Air Force Base was scrambled that day? And, you know, this, this, this yeah. whole kind of sequence. NATO. And yeah. You know, and some of the weird stuff too, like they stood down, and, and 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 some of the stuff like I'll I'll defend, but then like my defense of it falls apart. Like I'll say, well, you know, there's like a national defense system and all that, and then suddenly, what was it like three years ago? Hawaii does a missile inbound alert because that was not right. Good lord! <laughs> and so you know, so I'm having to go in then and and say, well, you know, not all 50 states have their own radar inbound system. I mean, this is an integrated. Yes, NORAD. Sorry about that. Yes, creative accidents. Have, right. They corrected us <laughs> but, there. Yes, NORAD. Then, sorry. <laughs> it's NORAD, right? So, so, but then people are, are like, well, but these systems can be fatigued, right? They can be evaded. People can work their way around and, and say something is inbound. And then something happened in Florida in their system. I think it was zombie attack like uh, six months later. But I looked at that and said, damn it. Like, you know, I'm trying to, to keep people on the, the path of, of logical thinking, but even, I'm looking at this thing. That doesn't make any sense. Like what happened in Hawaii with that missile alert? That was insane. Like there's no way there should have been a direct access for one person to click a button. Yeah, and not at send all. This information, it, it, the system doesn't work that way. So, so there, you know, when we talk about, you know, maybe conspiracy theory and theories and things like that, I'm looking at that and saying, I, and here was the part too. So I, I studied that and. I'm, I'm looking at the cover, I shouldn't say cover stories, but I'm looking at the initial stories coming out from the government about, well, you know, somebody did this and they've been put on leave. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, now they've been put on leave for two weeks and they didn't work here. That was, so they're coming up with a story. I'm like, hire me. I'll come up with a lot better <laughs> cover story for you. <laughs> Let's just say it was a software upgrade. We had two systems and, you know, one was this space and one was this, you know, whatever. And, and in the midst of this, I mean, even their, even the cover story for that was so ridiculous. And then eventually the person gets fired and they disappear. Like you can't find that person to this day. Like you can't locate the person that allegedly made this, this mistake. Right. So, so those type of things just, just are crazy in the safety world and chaos world because I look at some of that and I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. And, and also, you know, like just from a logical cover story, if you go back, you know, I study a lot of World War II civilian propaganda. It's in my upcoming book coming out. And actually, I, I wrote like 500 words on it today. I mean, just nobody would make this slip up. I mean, you know, any, even a novice, right? I mean, you'd sit together in a room for five minutes and say, like, here's our, here's the story, the official story we're going to put out on this. And, and so that gets to be weird these days. And of course, in COVID, like we've seen all of these crazy shifting sands of stories and what's acceptable, you know, mask and not mask. And it can survive, you know, in the air for 20 minutes or two minutes or. Yeah, so no one knows. It's it's a bit of a mystery now. <laughs> yes. And we'll talk about that in a moment here. And uh, just to um, finish up with the World Trade Center 1, 2 and 7, those buildings, well, 
They say it was caused by fire, so that would make it the first uh, steel-framed high-rise building in history to suffer a total fire-induced collapse, my friend. So uh, that's one hell of a fire, right? Yeah. No, no. I, I, in studying that, it's, it's, again, you know, I'm not a structural engineer, right? But um, from fa- a face validity standpoint, it, it's confusing to understand, um, you know, how that, how that happens. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I, I don't have, I don't have an answer. And, you know, what, one of the things um, in, in analyzing 9-11 too was, um, you know, the behavior of people was, was really, was, you can just tell how program people are. Like they weren't accepting that the tower had been struck. They're, they're staying at their desk thinking, ah, this is a drill. Like I'll just, you know, wait this out and the alarm will stop. I mean, it usually does. And, and a lot of hundreds of people stayed at their desk saving files. Cause back in what, you know, 2001, you still had to save files. You know, it took a while on your three and a half inch floppy drive or to your server. Um, and before they exited, and a lot of them died and some of them made it out, but you know, they had the records where they could see people doing this, but, but it is, yeah, that the whole, the whole, um, you know, the 9-11, um, is very, you know, it, it was very perplexing. Um, and also one of the things, and I just talked about this recently, um, the, the level of communication that came out from Rudy Giuliani. Oh my. And it was, was very, um, the mayor was, of America. Yeah. Good <laughs> yeah. Lord. The mayor of America. So, so the communication that came out for nine 11 was very rapid. And it was very precise. You know, this is what happened. The Dang, right. These are the subways that are operating. These are the, the areas that are closed off. And then they would, they would repeat it, which is very effective. Like this is a, this is like a model like strategy, but like it, it doesn't seemed pretty match rehearsed, right? a lot of, yeah, like Michael, <laughs> it doesn't match a lot of other disasters. Like people don't usually have that level of information that quickly able to replicate it. We didn't Correct. even see it like in the tennis. What is it? The Nashville bomber who drove his, RV down and exploded it. I mean, like, you know, there wasn't that level of, of information coming out rapidly with that. So, so that is, it's a, it, it stands alone. Like I'll point stuff out and say like, this is different than like these other disasters, like the Murrah city building bombing or, you know, whatever, 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 like we didn't have this. And even to this day, like we, we don't have um, this type of information. So, so it's, it's strange. I mean, you know, I, I was looking at it from some different perspectives and different angles. Um, I, but yeah, the, I mean, to, to me, like Tower 7 will always be just this massive mystery um, understanding because I, I've studied extensively the City Core Tower, which was built approximately the same time, the engineering that went into that, um, how a building could fail that wasn't directly hit. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I, I have no idea how that, how that could happen. It was magic. It, yeah, it, it, right. It, it, of course, we're talking about this not to not to bring you know uh, to light to it, but objectively, right? So, objectively, when we look at this and, and we try to make sense of this, it's hard to. How do, you, how do you make sense of it? It's hard to. Building seven just goes down and like in free fall fashion, right? Knowing that building seven right needed to be built to certain um, you know standards for not only you know possible possible earthquake, right, but also um, likely um, hurricane or tropical storm. Uh, and if you just parallel that over to the engineering um, 
effects that had to go into the city core tower in 77. Right. And it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And I still remem- remember um, multiple eyewitness accounts of uh, multiple explosions that went off that morning, too. Right. People in FDNY. Right. Right. Yeah. I Again, I, you know, I, I wasn't there. Um, I, you know, I, I've talked to people, you know, first, you know, who were who were there. Um, people who, you know, responded to the scene. But of course, I mean, they're, they're seeing a small, you know, fraction of the whole panorama of, of what's going on. Um, but I'm, yeah. And the thing, the thing with 9-11, right, is like, so when I wrote about 9-11, <laughs> I said, had it been a rainy day or cold or something like that, like, you know, this would have been substantially different, like the harbor rescue and people knowing where to go and, and stuff like this. So, it was just kind of this weird context too of like it happened on this sunny, warm morning in in New York with this. And I measured, I knew what the 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 water, the waves were extremely low that that morning too. It would have made a rescue much more difficult had it been, you know, uh, just like even a typical morning. This was like a really calm morning. But but yeah, so th- these are the things you know. I, I sit up and at night. And I'm, I'm putting stuff together and different, you know, research and whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I got to put this out there in a file where it's the, I don't know file. I can't make sense of this. I hear you. It's a very strange event in our nation's history. No doubt. A very odd one. And of course we have another situation that happened recently. The Capitol was stormed. What do you make of that? Yeah. So, so right. You know, January, January 6th, we have, um, you know, the, the insurrection at the Capitol, um, you know, what it's being called, right? Insurrection at the Capitol, I guess. Um, so, so looking at that, right. Um, I, I don't, <laughs> so that, that's a, per, it's very perplexing to look at that versus, um, right now when the Capitol has been fortified with what, 25,000 troops and, you know, there's many perimeters and, and, um, you know, things like that. Um, how how was it that the the capital, for example, was just that easy to it was so get easy, into? right? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, how is that? I mean, uh, I mean, we you know from I mean, you know, summer. The, well, the reports the, the, now are saying, uh, David, that someone had inside knowledge. Boy, you know, I, I again, I don't. I, I look at this and and I'm like, um, it, it seemed like it was it was you know substantially un fortified for what they probably should have anticipated through just regular intelligence. I mean, just intelligence, you know, Michael, that you and I would be able to decipher from the media and understanding the riots of May and June, you know, close to me is Madison, Wisconsin, which had substantial, you know, um, damage to retail and the capital from riots. So then, you know, you're thinking, okay, there's an election and the electors are, are coming in, you know, why wouldn't you have a stronger presence um, around the, the Capitol just in general? I mean, what if someone's driving up like a Timothy McVeigh or a, you had the tenant, you had the Nashville, Tennessee RV bomber. I mean, wouldn't that be, or, you know, at the front of your mind saying, you know, we need to push out a perimeter because maybe someone is going to do this. But um, I'm just saying, you know, just from a, from a regular intel, uh, intelligence and, and defensive, you know, um, thinking, wouldn't you, wouldn't you expect that they would have, you'd have a heightened presence. And the other part is, so people get in, right. And it seems like they got in fairly easy into the capital, but, um, they didn't do much damage also, which was, it was interesting. Like I'm watching this on live stream. <laughs> I had a six, I had three screens in front of me. I had split up 
and people are walking between the felt ropes, you know, just like at the bank or whatever, you know, you have the felt ropes you have to walk in between. They're walking in between the ropes. They're not knocking the ropes down and going over and setting painting on fire. I mean, they're, they're in and they're walking between the, the ropes. And yeah, of course, and some doors broke down, stuff like that. But, um, but, but yes, I mean, so now this has been, you know, completely magnified in, into this as an insurrection. And this is, you know, the, this, this, um, you know, attempt to overthrow a, a government, I would say, you know, I, I don't think they were trying to install a new government. They were trying to you know, protest um, or riot against what they perceived was a, a stolen election. But, but I get, you know, to, to get drill down to your question, Michael, it struck me as this is a very unfortified area for what they should have anticipated. So like with what they've done right now with, you know, these, all these fences, all of these concrete barriers, 25,000 National Guard plus, you know, all these military vehicles. What the hell are they expecting is going to happen this week? <laughs> I mean, what, what, what are, what are they believing is going to happen? Because I, I don't anticipate a domestic threat that would warrant this type of, of magnifying of forces, you know, is, is there some thought that there could be, you know, this, this international, which I don't think is going to happen, but, but I don't think the, what is, what is portrayed right now matches. And, and I've also seen the language change today. I, I saw articles, headlines coming out of scattered protests anticipated at all 50 state capitals, which is a lot different than 48 hours ago when it was all 50 state capitals are on alert. Here in Madison, they boarded up the windows of the state capitol. Oh, yes. on the news. The FBI but, memo. Yeah, yeah, the FBI memo. And I'm, I'm looking at that saying, I don't think so. I just don't, you know, I know too many people. I'm too well connected. Um, you know, yes, I mean, in May and July, in May, June, July, this was very probable. I mean, um, police forces being told to stand down. Minnesota, you know, Minneapolis, you know, pr- a precinct was taken over, you know, Portland, Seattle, all that. I had a friend in Seattle who was inside of Chaz, who was taking pictures and giving me reports like every day. And so, so it's like, you know, is right, is right now a portrayal of strength just to, to try to convey to people that we are a strong government or I, mean, I, I don't get it because I, I just don't, I think the time for what you see right now was two weeks ago. Like it should have been fortified at that point or why not fortify at the election? Why wait? Until why wait now? Now? I mean, yes. that's, those are the logical questions. If you sit down with anybody in intelligence or, you know, and you, and you ask that question, Well, someone's getting fired. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> why, why wait until now? Um, yeah. And by the way, I had read way back in 2012, Homeland Security was actually preparing for civil war. Um, yeah, I, I definitely do remember reports going way back to 2012, talking about Homeland Security preparing for a civil war. They were doing all these exercises, I remember, back in 2012. And I'm thinking maybe they knew something back then. Maybe they were preparing for um, this event coming up, uh, David. It's a, you know, it's possible, right? Um, and what would it take to to have some, you know, it's probably more like a balkanization, right? When the Soviet Union fell in the 80s, um, you know, and the Ukraine split off and all that, I mean, balkanization was pretty fast. Um, so, you know, balkanization of, you know, Texas, Nevada, Arizona, whatever, and then, you know, California, Washington, going in one direction and whatever. Um so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that was, that was plausible. Um, I'm actually, you know, I, I look back on January 6th and I'm like, if you would have 
introduced somebody into that, an actor, for example, who looked like Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And you would have surrounded that person with six secret service, right? You, you just, you know, you hire this, like some, if somebody just comes in and they're, they're role-playing this and, and suddenly they're marching toward the Capitol and they're saying, you know, we're, we have to defend the, the constitution. I think you could have tipped that into a complete shootout, like into a complete battle. Um, um, you know, if you would have, if you, a few things would have come into play there. And well, I think a lot if, of things um, didn't play out that way because plans were unfolded. Yeah. Uh, by law enforcement. So luckily that didn't happen. And of course, I saw footage of some of these people out there wanting to hang Mike Pence, by the way. They even uh, brought up some sort of noose, some sort of contrapment out there. Yeah. 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 I saw that too. That's pretty um, wild. It's, it is. <laughs> Holy and, and shit. Is it? You know, the, the news report saying, um, you know, it was one minute prior to the entrance of, of you know, where Mike Pence was that he was evacuated. You know, they got him out a minute before uh, protesters or rioters got into the building. And um, yeah, the thing is with that, right, is once you once you kind of tip into um, that the mob mentality, once one person just goes over the that's edge, all it takes, man. Just it one is. effing guy. It we we had so one of the things in my area. So I live close to the University of Wisconsin Madison, and and for years they would have this thing called Freak Fest, and it was on Halloween, and the college kids and they'd come from all around, be like fifty thousand kids, you know, downtown and drinking, partying, stuff like that. And one one year, like one one kid, you know, he's a, kind of liquored up and you know just a, it's real motivated. Um, picks up a bench that's on on next to the road, you know, uh -oh. that people just sit on, and he takes it and he hurls it and he smashes it through this window of, of I don't know, a business or a house or whatever. And then as soon as he did that, like everybody kicks in and they're just like, you know, so it's this cascade effect. And and you're right. I mean, once the first shot is fired, monkey see, um, monkey do, David. Monkeys, it is right. And I think July, I, I think January six in in a forensic analysis, looking back, we're, we're really fortunate that somebody didn't come in and just say, listen, um, I'm not going to make it out of here alive. I'm okay with that. I have, you know, all of my weapons and I'm, I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. I mean, it, it's horrific as it sounds, right? But if someone comes in with that mindset um, that day, you know, we, we could be looking back and say the one or 2000 people killed or somebody brings in their RV with explosives or something like that. Um, you know, which, which sounds crazy, but also it happened, what, two weeks ago in Nashville. So we know these things can happen. Um, I, I think we, we're really fortunate because then it also exposes how weak and, and vulnerable, I guess, the government is. Yes, right? like, we look very, <laughs> that, that was very embarrassing, I have to say. I don't really care what side you are on, Democrat, uh, Republican, uh, Green Party, you know, Independent, I, I don't care. That should have never have happened, David. Not in our country. Yeah, yeah. How do we how do we miss that? I mean, I've I've worked with some of the, not good, not good. The, yeah, the best intelligence folks out there who would never make this slip up, who would never do this on their watch. So so yeah, I mean, and and so so again, ask a question like, why would you fatigue the system? Would you well, you know, would you would you fatigue it and you know, on, I I guess um, have this where it could set up in order then to have a stronger presence on, you know, uh, inauguration and then going forward to have a uh, stronger fortification around government buildings or, or to have like, you know, 
uh, everybody has to have an ID, right? Now, I've talked a lot, Michael, always about social credit score in China. Oh, yes. And how everybody has their social credit score. It's public. That's right. And I said, I, you know, I looked at the work of Tom Sky. I said, it'll be in the U.S. in three years. I said, everybody will have a social credit score. Yeah, you're score. right. Yeah. It'll be public. And and so does this forward a social credit score of saying, you know, we need to know who people are. So if, if you went and you participated in the quote-unquote insurrection, you know, then for your social credit score, this has what this impact you yeah. go from an 800, which is perfect to the 500. And then people around you are notified, Hey, this, ha- this person has a 500, they can file a disassociation claim. And then, um, you know, they, that they're not, you know, uh, going to interact with you anymore. So Tom Scott did a video, um, and it, it's about eight minutes long. And, and so anybody interested after, you know, this, this show, um, it's it's called you know social credit score and he, it 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 give and I think it's spot on of what it would look like and he does um, Great Britain yes and by the way like for those it, for those wondering we are talking to Doctor David Proden that is the voice you are hearing right now he's got a great voice thank uh, you yes that's David Proden PhD boy, boys and girls look him up the Safety Dog Podcast. Yeah, the Safety Doc podcast of 153 episodes, um, a lot of, of terrific guests, including Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief. Um, Le- you know, Larry was on my show, and I asked Larry one question. I said, uh, Larry, tell me about how you found out about 9-11, because he was in Ted Kaczynski-level um, uh, you know, security yeah. in the federal prison system where you, know, you only found things out because someone smuggled in a piece of paper they folded 100 times and put it under their tongue and, and gave it to you, so... You know, how did, how did you find out when Larry Lawton got out of jail, Michael, in 2007, he stopped the, the, the Greyhound bus stopped at um, a gas station. They were going to get food. And he's like, why are we stopping here to get food? This doesn't make any sense. And uh, so I get out and there's a subway attached to the gas station, right? <laughs> subway. And he never knew this. He never knew this because, I mean, where he was at, you know, he's locked down for, what, 23 hours a day. He had no idea. So he goes in and he's looking up and he said, you know, he said, I, I had a panic attack. I wasn't used to these, these choices of, of everything's, you know, made these choices are made for you. These decisions are made for you in prison. So he, he went back and he sat down in the Greyhound bus. He called like a relative and he said, I'm, you know, I'm going to like kill the driver or do something like that. Um, so I can go back into prison because I can't handle this. And, oh my. And thankfully the relative talked him out of that, but, um, but yeah, and Larry also Jeez. said, so he had, you know, he has his flip phone and someone has a smartphone. So he's like, Tell me, show me this. What is this like? He had never seen that. But um, it's just kind of an interesting, uh, you know, in, interesting I never side knew that. Of, yeah. of, of, you know, what happens when you're, when you don't have communication provided to you. How, how do you find out what's real and what's not? And I presented yeah. on this in 2019. I was on PBS. And for any, you know, just when you present on PBS, that's like a six month process when you have a feature on PBS because, you know, there's so much development and so much ahead of time. Everything has to be checked over by PBS and their lawyers. A lot of pre-production, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of pre-production. And I had some stuff that I was citing from, from Russia where they were taking some, um, still images of like the Mona Lisa and they were starting to animate them so you could have the Mona Lisa talk, right? Or you could have anybody. If I took a picture of you, uh, Michael, mm-hmm. if I took like five pictures of you and I gave it to this one lab in Russia, they'd be able to produce you giving a speech, a 10-minute speech on any topic I wanted. Oh, a deep fake. That's what they call it. A deep fake, yeah. Wow. So so I, nice. I was able to present like 26 seconds of this deep fake technology um, you know, and, and then talk about it. But I also brought up the point of saying the first legislative hearing in the U.S. was in 2019 about 
what we should do about deep fakes, you know, as, as far as compromising um, our, our system of, of understanding, you know, what is authentic and what isn't. Yeah, that can and be next-level propaganda. Oh, it is. In California. California is the only state that has a bill where you can't do a deep fake of a politician 60 days before election. Oh, they, shit. They put, okay. Right. They put that in place last year. But how do you monitor that? And they also said, well, if it's obviously satire, like then it doesn't apply. Well, that's subjective. But, you know, we talk about deep fakes. Little Michaela, L-I-L-M-I-Q-U-E-L-A, Little Michaela. Michaela. Is an avatar. She's a deep fake. She's created by Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein has a team of engineers and like creative artists or whatever. They badge these people. And, and she, so she's, if you go online, like she has a million followers on Instagram, all this, she, she interacts with people. She doesn't exist. There's no little Michaela. She's like an 18 year old, you know, so she's wearing the clothes. She's, she's, she's being at certain venues and things like this. And, and people are completely convinced, you know, she's authentic. This is a real person. She's doing real things. So, but what does it take then? to cross that over and start to have deep fakes um, of politicians, right? Like there was one presentation uh, Trump did, and I don't know, maybe like three, four days ago or something. I don't, I, I, somebody sent it to me and they said, look at this. And I looked at it and I said, that's obviously a deep fake. Because I looked at the neck and I, I kind of looked at the things that the people, you know, in the intelligence community were, were teaching me before I did the PBS presentation. I'm like, that's not real. <laughs> like that's, that is, there's something not right about that. And well, people are very odd, David. As you know, there's a Japanese man <laughs> who married a hologram as well. Well, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So, um, Japanese are a very strange culture. <laughs> when it comes to so, yeah. sex, for some reason, they're very open. You know, you can walk around. Um, you know, where you would find liquor on the corner, you know, you could right. find women's underwear, um, used underwear from women. It's very odd. It's a very strange sort of view, but I mean, they view us as being, you know, very suppressed sexually here in America. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. I, I have a number of friends in, um, in Japan. You know, I have, I have relatives actually who live in, in, in Japan. So, I mean, it's a fascinating culture. I, I would, I would, I would love to, um, to spend a year or two. It's a pretty wild in, place. I, I mean, I would have fun. I mean, I love, uh, mixed martial arts and the Japanese, you know, they're all about that and pro wrestling. And, you know, I would yeah. love to be out there as well. It'd be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, and just to, you know, I, I love history, right? So, you know, it'd be a lot fun of history to, there too. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, to see that. And, and what, uh, so my, a couple of my friends who live in Japan say, you know, the tremors are because of, of the ring of fire and where Japan is situated. You know, the tremors are daily. Like, you know, oh, those the sidewalks yeah. crack and, you know, a little bit of water comes up and stuff like that. You know, just people just get used to it. But, but yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, it, it, interesting, interesting stuff. And it, it is, we talk about that. I mean, they, they asked me like, what's happening in the U.S., right? Because when the, when the Kenosha, riots were happening in Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, yes. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I live in Wisconsin. That's a couple hours away from me. But, of course, you know, when they think of me, Wisconsin, whatever, they're thinking this is happening, like, close to me. Like, how are you? You okay? Did this affect you? And I'm like, yeah, it didn't. Um, you know, I'm not close to it. Like, it, it this didn't um, directly impact me. But as as a as living in Wisconsin, it was really bizarre to not see the governor and, um, uh, call for the National Guard when – and, and so I'm listening to the police scanner that entire night. And I did a show on, on that night. And I think I went for like three hours. And I said, this town is just getting destroyed, right? They're just getting, they had like 35 fire department calls and There's a mess. Are going out. 
they're running over the fire hoses. They're cutting up the fire hoses. Stuff like, I'm like, this whole town is about to just be completely destroyed. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and yet like, you know, nothing was, there, there wasn't this call until like a day later to get the national guard. So was, as you said, I mean, there's these weird delays. The very, re- yeah, very strange delay. And it was a bit of a disaster, something that we should have not seen uh, going yeah. down the streets, but you know, um, it happened. It, it did happen. It did. And, and I think I, I talked that night and, you know, of being, you know, a firefighter formerly and, and said, the thing is, like, I would be concerned with, um, cause they were fighting all these, all these fires that the, the, the water supply would be down. Like the, all of the water towers would be drained out. So, you know, I'm kind of like saying people are probably going to be told their water is going to be shut off for a day because this, this stuff needs to replenish. And, you know, if I would, make sure that you had enough water and, and stuff because I, I just, I, I, these systems are all going to start to fail if this happens a second night in a row, which no one's, no one talks about, right? Like, like nobody comes on TV and tells you about this type of stuff. They're just, they're just like, you know, trying to get a camera in. And I, I, so I was, I was doing a live stream, Michael, the night that the Madison, Wisconsin riots, um, initially the first night that that happened. And, and I, I was critique, I, I was very critical of um, a news station in Madison who was having a young reporter. You know, she was maybe like 25 years old and, and so didn't have a lot of experience. And, and, the, and the guy in the, in the studio was like, go closer to this, go closer to this like jewelry store where it seems like a lot of people are really agitated. Well, instantly, boom, the window gets smashed. People are running in, taking jewelry, all this other stuff. And she ends up with like a high-end purse in her hand that someone like, you know, just runs out and throws at her or something. And, and, and I was supposed to him like, get these people out of there. Like this is this is a, a you know, a, th- this is a chaotic, unpredictable scene. These people aren't trained for this. Like they could easily have a brick thrown at them or just like killed if this goes wrong. And I was booted off social media. My live stream, everything's shut down instantly, <laughs> instantly gone. And and I'm like, I'm trying to help you out. You know, like I'm, I understand this stuff from a high end chaos level, and I can see that you're leading someone into their potential you know, death. Like you are basically telling them, walk right into this. You're young. It'll probably work out for you. I'm here at the studio. And I was right. booted. I was gone. Um, so it was weird. Yeah. That, that was a weird moment for me because I was like, I know this stuff, right? You know, I've been, and I've been where this is. Ha- I went to school down there. I got my PhD down there. I, I know exactly these areas. And, I, and it's like, you know, you can, it's like watching a horror film. You're like, don't open that door. And, and I'm trying to, to contribute to this in a positive way to the point where I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm calling the station. I know people at the station. I'm like, this person is in real danger. And I was shut down, locked down, um, all my social media accounts, anything. I, I was done for 24 hours. Crazy, right, Michael? It is. It is. But that's where we are nowadays. And uh, as we mentioned before, Twitter has become such a huge issue. And we were talking about Parler a moment ago. And David, I have to say, we are seeing corporations become bigger than government. And it's yeah. what I've been saying on the show for the past four years now. And people today are crying on Twitter about YouTube removing uh, their channels or them being demonetized. You know, all those things have happened to me numerous times. And I, I didn't get angry. I didn't get on my soapbox and stomp my little feet. Uh, no, you know, I, I didn't care. I wasn't threatening to, to sue anyone. You know, I just moved forward. And, um, unfortunately, if you try to fight uh, with these big corporations and you don't have that much money, well, um, 
Best of luck to you, David. <laughs> That's the way it goes. You know, these people have become uh, giants. They are the, uh, they're the ones who um, tell you the real truth. You know, you and I are just liars to them. We are. We are. Right. Yeah, but here yeah. we go, though. Here, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Since we were talking about Parler, when does freedom of speech go too far, David? They say this insurrection that happened, that we witnessed the storming of the Capitol, they say all these things were planned on Parler, and that's the reason why they are being shut down. Well, one of the many reasons why they are being shut down. What do you say about that, David? Do you think freedom of speech can go too far? Right. So, you know, the First, first Amendment, um, so it's a, a great question, right? That's, that's been debated. Um, uh, to length. Um, as you said that, I'm thinking about, I, I did a presentation for a state librarians association and um, they were specifically wanting me to talk about First Amendment. So I did. And I was talking about uh, a man who went into, um, I think it was Missouri. I'm pretty sure it was Missouri. He went into a library and it was after a shooting um, like at a Walmart um, Texas or something like that, but it was like two years ago. Went in and he said, you know, the person that did that shooting at that that store, um, they didn't go far enough. And then the person mm. went in and, and was like looking up stuff about the shooting on the computers at the library. Well, the librarian called the the police and said, I believe this person, you know, is threatening and all of that. And they arrested this person. Um, so this person was not threatening the librarian did not have a weapon on them and was searching for articles, which you or I could search for, you know, that we could find these things. And, um, they, you know, they were, they were taken into custody, eventually, um, released because it wasn't deemed that they were, yeah, you know, a threat to um, uh, society or a threat to, to this person. But, um, but boy, I, this, so when you mention this, it also brings me to a recent um, discussion I've had with people in the 3D printing community about, you know, the first kind of the First Amendment and cop copyright and First Amendment kind of kind of crossover a little bit. But, um, you know, people in the 3D printing community, for example, are very afraid or not very afraid, but they're very aware that new 3D printers might all, all be online. Like you're going to have to ping to whatever. And yeah, and that's what an you issue. print. You'll be given rights to print under like a copyright, which is so we kind of get into this innovation. If you if you stifle freedom of speech, you stifle innovation. That ultimately is kind of the, the connection. That's why freedom of speech was was put into the First Amendment, because we want to be able to have ideas, have opposing ideas, debate those, and then eventually, you know, come to this point of innovation as a society. Right. So can First Amendment give too many rights? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think we need to be monitored. I don't think the First Amendment is broken, but I think the First Amendment, when it's on Twitter and, you know, all of these different social media platforms, um, the question comes up of um, how do we monitor if people are saying things in these platforms which could be perceived as a threat of harm to self or others? Um, you know, what are, what are we doing? How are we responding to that? And, and what obligation does the platform have? I mean, this goes back to a crazy question like 30 years ago. If someone called in a bomb threat and, you know, like, so, you know, they're like, you call in a bomb threat. The person that received the bomb threat, imagine if they would turn around and they would sue AT&T, the phone carrier, because it'd be like, well, you had the phone line. If you didn't have the phone line, you were <laughs> right. This person would have never been able to call in a bomb threat. So, um, so I, I don't, I, I think we're at this amazing time actually with creativity. We, we saw creative commons come together. For example, creative commons, um, 
in my opinion, works on the good side of preserving, you know, freedom of speech and then also ideas with copyright, um, came together during the coronavirus and enabled people to print masks that had been protected through intellectual property, IP copyright, and then also pr- produce some ventilator parts. They, they worked with companies, so companies would say, you know, we'll give a lapse on our intellectual property for the specific component and you can print it and bring it to your local hospital if you have this this printer so so i think you know i i i really believe you know ip or my perception is you know first amendment if we get into the point where we're regulating um first amendment we are going to shut down innovation and and everyone is going to have to worry about um my next job like something i i said or even if it was protected under First Amendment, right? Your your freedom of speech, your freedom to assemble. Well, assemble, right? <laughs> I mean, if you are in Washington on um, Washington D.C. on January sixth, as long as you're there before six thirty and not participating in um, you know damaging property and, and and trespassing, right? I guess trespassing. I don't know. You can necessarily if that was called trespassing, but if you're there, if you're just physically there, and at six thirty there's a curfew, and by six thirty you leave. Right. And, and you have a sign and you're, you know, maybe having your, your political opinion put forward on the sign, but you're not hurting anybody. You're not charging the capital. You're not aiding and abetting. You're not putting a, a pipe bomb somewhere. But those people now, because they've been there, their, their timestamp, the picture of them is there in that location. Their yeah. jobs, they're done. Yeah. They're, they're in the no fly zone anywhere. now. Yeah. They can't even fly out now. They can't fly. Their families turned on them. Um, you know, they're not going to have employment, um, anywhere. Uh, people will will dox them. I, I've talked right. to many people who have been doxed. Um, I, we had it happen close to me, 15 miles away from me. There was an event um, where uh, th- this was amazing. This made national news. So really, um, high, yeah, oh yeah, shit. High school. This maybe like two years ago. High school, two three years ago. High school students were on the steps of a courthouse and they appeared to be giving what was a Nazi salute. Oh and my! It was, okay, it was captured. Um, so if you type in Nazi salute plus kids in Wisconsin, you'll probably find it right away. Um, now, anyway, this 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 picture gets out there and it's real complicated, right? Because the person taking the picture was a former social studies teacher who turned into a photographer. And, but the the thing is, so, you know, I know this from a lot of different angles, right? Because I know this is a school safety expert and teaching classes to school administrators. But I know um, that, you know, teachers in that district especially if they were teaching social studies and things like that, their information was, was posted online. Here's the, here's the teacher who teaches social studies, go at the, you know, to their, go to their house, not necessarily bring harm to them, but make them know that, you know, this, we don't tolerate this. And the social studies teachers like, I only been here two years. Like I didn't do this. I didn't, I mean, this image, I had nothing to do with this. And, and you can see how people have to, um, you know, uh, separate themselves from employment, move, um, get out of town just because, you know, this happened. So again, that's the thing that's really, um, you know, if you go anywhere, I, I, I interviewed Clay Martin on my show. Clay Martin is a former, um, Marines reconnaissance, specializes in reconnaissance sniper. And one of the things we talked about, he, he's the author of the books, uh, concrete jungle and prairie fire. And Clay's like, you know, he goes today, Dave, I wouldn't put a bumper sticker on my car for anything or my truck. I wouldn't put a bumper sticker political party I'm for or against, or even if it's like a sports team or whatever, 
because you don't know how people will receive that. Yeah, people like, are if, crazy nowadays, David. Yeah, they're like, I, I don't like the whatever NBA team because of this or because like, you know, their, their position on social justice or whatever it is. And then you, know, you come back and all your windows are smashed out and, you know, there's key marks all your vehicles. So he was saying, you know, just don't do it. But, you know, he's like, I'm not a coward, right? But just there are certain things which at this point don't even take that risk. I wouldn't don't take even, the risk either. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it, it it was, you know, that type of discussion, that type of advice. And, and even, too, he's like, you know, when you're shopping, you know, go with apparel that kind of blends into things and, you know, just have a, a you know, um, kind of a low profile. And, and so, Michael, you know, one of the things that came up in my superintendent class this fall I had this question come up from multiple superintendents and they said, what should we be telling our staff if they're driving, you know, if they're, if they're on a team bus and they're going to a sporting event or whatever, and they get, they get caught in a, in a protest that turns into a riot. Like, oh, what should we do? Good question. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like that's the question. So I, I contacted my insurance carrier and I said, what do you advise me to do or my family if we are in an area and a protest happens and we are unable to, um, you know, our vehicle is, is locked in place, right? Gridlock because of this. You're and with it, the basketball team and you're surrounded by the proud boys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that was a exactly. joke, but yes, that could happen. No, but what do you, but what do you do? And suddenly, you know, they're one vehicle away from you and you know, you have students. In, so what do you do? Do you, and you can't back up. I mean, do you, do you ditch the vehicle and the vehicle is a loss and you run for it or what's the guidance? And, and of course, no one's going to give you, <laughs> no one's going to tell you what to do in that situation. They don't want to take a position. I mean, um, you know, legislators, state organizations. And, and I would pull this back to my superintendents. I say, what are your state organizations saying about this? How about your state superintendent organization? What is what is their position? Well, we haven't asked them. I'm like, we'll send them this question. You know, you're paying them money. You're paying $500 a year to be a part of this group. Ask them for some guidance on what you should do if this, this happened. Or what if your school, for example, got surrounded by, you know, whatever, um, you know, a, a a rioters that, that turned, and maybe it wasn't because of something that happened in your school. It was, it was a block away and now it's moved to your school, your perimeters. Well, actually, we don't even have to worry about that these days, David, not with COVID, <laughs> not with remote learning. Oh my goodness. Yeah, those days right. are over. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a safety, as a safety expert with, with COVID, you know, I, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, I, I'm, I'm glad to go down there because I, You've I talked am, extensively I, about COVID before. I think we could sort of switch topics slightly here. I mean, one of your last episodes you did that I had a chance to listen to, um, you talked to someone by the name of Carl um, Hopf. Carl Hopf, yeah. Hopf, yeah. He's a great guest, by the way. I, I did enjoy that Thanks. episode. I, I did. Thank you. Yes, I really liked your opinion on COVID and the tracking app. And, you know, that's really something else. W when does it all end, though? You know, what is the end game? And that's... The question I have as well for everyone out there, not just you, David, but in terms of um, the civil unrest and the political divide in our country, I mean, when does it all end? I mean, it's going to take one side to kill off the other side. Is that what we are coming down to, David? Um, I'm wondering. I mean, pretty soon, um, everything is going to be like this um, pretty soon. You're going to hear this. <laughs> well, I... All day. The purge. Yes. Yes. The purge. The purge. Right. Wow. Um, well, first of all, thank you for mentioning Carl. Uh, Carl, uh, you know, doesn't do much um, in terms of, of, you know, putting himself out there to the public because uh, one of the things with Carl also is Carl 
works at a much deeper level than what was portrayed on the show uh, for, you know, the protection of, of what he does professionally. You know, that was, that was a very um, limited representation of what he does and what he has access to. Um, so, you know, so Carl, you know, I, I, Carl was, was absolutely fascinating. I've known him for a while. Um, you know, he wanted to, to be on the show and, and he deliberated, you know, whether or not to, to come on the show again. We talk about if this stuff gets made public, yeah. um, you know, this is, it's, you know, when someone is telling me, I, I'll be on your show, but I might lose my job. I'm oh like, my. You know, don't come, don't come on my show for that. Um, but, um, but he, you know, he got to a point where, where we got it to information that was just um, available publicly. But Carl's the type of guy, and I think he mentioned this during the show, who who's worked in high high security work. virus labs. Yeah. Where he'd say, Dave, like, if I have to leave work, it takes me two hours because I have to go from, like, you know, decompress, you know, the chamber one to chamber two to chamber three, like getting all the layers off before I can go. And. And so he's, but you know, so he's talking about the apps and stuff like that. And so when I, so I've got the app on my phone, all of us do, right? I mean, it's, it's downloaded and, and I although they're saying, it. quote unquote, that um, you have to download a companion app to make it work at face validity, Michael, like what the hell sense does that make? I mean, like I've never had an app where I've had it partially on my phone and then I have to download the other half of it. Like that doesn't make any sense. Not at all. Um, and I mean, there, there so, is that issue with, uh, so, with a HIPAA, they can't really tell you anything either. Well, right, but of course they have the information they they because they know. I mean, they ping it. Every device has its unique identifying information number. Um, you know, I wrote about this in School of Theirs. How often do we get inundated with these notifications? Of now, I got one. You know, through like my state license um, for you know um, my professional license. Oh, we've been hacked, and all of your you know information was was out there. So. You know, we're going to give you a, a year of monitoring or whatever and let us know. I mean, that happens all the time, right? We're, I'm still waiting for my $200 settlement from Yahoo, a class action. Any of us that had a Yahoo account where they, they got in there. But, you know, so so this thing is, I mean, you look at it and it's like, yeah. So I'm looking at the app and Colorado, for example, it, it's different state by state. Like Wisconsin didn't do much of a rollout on it. They didn't do much of a public campaign, which is kind of weird because it's a democratic state and I would have just expected Wisconsin to that, but my, my friends in other states were showing me what was coming across their TV screens on their phones. They download the app and they'll be able to track you. So if you're 15 minutes close to somebody, it would notify you. And then a contact tracer would contact you. So you stop, right, Michael? You stop and you just think, so what does that mean? What does that mean if somebody contacts me? Like, then what is going to happen? They're going to ask me who I was in contact with, but they already know because they have this information. <laughs> Right. I mean, they ultimately have this information. They have your info, but they're they're, they're not going to give you the details from what I understand. Oh, no. But they know who I've been around. I like, want to know they, who they it know was. I, I want their phone number. I want their address. I want their social security have, number. I want it. it all. Oh, God. I want to know who they are. The work that I've done, Michael, I I want to take all of that stuff is out there. Right. All of it. And we've seen it in the third party doctrine case of Carpenter versus United States in 2017. I mean, it doesn't take much, obviously, to get you know, as much information as you want about anyone, you know, down to, you know, visits to the doctor and things like that. I mean, that, it's pretty easy to mine all of that type of stuff. So, so yeah, these apps are really um, intrusive. You know, I, I, it's really crazy because I mean, yeah, obviously HIPAA considerations and we know these Bluetooth um, things aren't very secure anyway. Not right? at all. So, so I mean, it's like, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to even create a spoof type app. Um, That's all it takes. But, 
but what's the end game? So, so I looked at this, I looked at how Colorado rolled it out. And, and I said, basically the conclusion here is like everybody in Colorado that had the app would be notified that they should stay home because they, because they've been in close proximity with someone who's tested positive for COVID. So basically it was just telling everyone to stay home. I'm like, there's no other, there was no other conclusion as a researcher, as a PhD researcher is like, Someone who is is very trained in qualitative statistics. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a very based person. You know, I look at this. I'm like, wouldn't the conclusion be that this would just ultimately tell everybody to stay home? So, um, and then you know, is it trying to get people to stay home through the elections? So you don't have a protest when you know Biden wins the election. Is 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 that the end game here, um, or is it just you know, is is there more to it? Is it more social conditioning? They go on, um, you know, which I guess you know, I'd have to try to wrap my head around. What is that? You know, what would, what is that really looking like? What is the purpose of that? Um, but, but yeah, I, the app, I mean, frankly, the app, um, me, I, I don't see the value in having the app. I mean, if you really ask the, the hard questions, not the, even the hard questions, just the normal questions that you or I would ask, anybody would ask. So what is, how does this help me? Well, it'll notify you if you've been around somebody. Well, likely, you know, if I've been in a Walmart, <laughs> I've probably been around somebody, right, that says a positive because there's hundreds of people in there. So, like, if I don't know who it is or I don't know what, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to stay home. And But here's the thing, Michael. So when COVID, like, really started, like, it was what, about March 15th in the U.S. Right. I, I have a timeline on this. I have a, you know, detail it out. Um, we were supposed to go to Disney. So, right, like, we had everything packed. <laughs> and we were all ready to fly out from Milwaukee to Disney and and um, at about a week before, I'm, I'm watching the stuff kind of, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't think this is going to happen. I think Disney's going to be shut down. NCAA is shutting down. NBA is shutting, shutting down. I'm doing contingencies. You know, like, who do we know in Orlando that we could, you know, rent a, get a vehicle from and drive back to Wisconsin? But, um, but, but yeah, so, so, I mean, it's, it was absolutely this, this kind of terrifying, um, you know, cascade effect that that you had to to front up with of what's happening so i i did i did 13 videos that i never made public 13 face validity videos and i also created my network right i had a network of people all, all around the world um like six people in the u.s two people three people outside of the u.s and every 48 hours i would contact them and say what do you what are you observing not <laughs> not what do you hear in the news what do you observe i observed this i went to the store i observed this today david i observed this and then we started to find some real interesting things. And I, I observed, for example, my postal carriers did not wear gloves, did not wear any type of PPE. So did they I, get knew sick? That, I knew that a household, a few houses up from us, um, had tested positive for COVID. There we go. The, they, they notified me. They said, you know, we've tested, we're, we're here for 14 days. We're all quarantined. It was, it was a larger family. But the postal carrier stopped there, went to their mailbox, put their mail in, took the mail out, went to a few other houses, eventually got to our house. Same deal, you know, same, no gloves, walking right up to our house. It's a, it's a box on the side of our house. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense, right? From a face validity standpoint, as a researcher, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. How can you, uh, how, how do you not change gloves? How do you not have some ultraviolet light? I mean, how do you even, even. They probably can't afford that, David. But even the perception, right, Michael, even wouldn't you. As a government, want to if you're portraying right, everything is shut down, safer at home, you can't leave. Give your give fluorescent gloves and a mask to your postal workers, and just say every day you have to wear this. That's true because because yeah. then psychologically, be a psyops like it would tell people, 
But the fact that that didn't happen, I recorded it 13 times. I have it on video. I have it timestamped. And, and I just said, this is, this doesn't make sense. There's, this is completely illogical. Um, you taped your, wait, wait, what up? You, you taped the, um, the mailman. Is that what you did, David? I did. I did. Wow. Yeah. I have, oh, 13, I have 13 different days. And, and then I also, um, on those days I went and I, I went to the national, I went to the armory in my town and there was only one day when I saw something that was kind of different than previous days. Cause I was, I was looking for, you know, obviously, you know, where they starting to scale up because there was an airport next to her armory. And I mean, you're hearing all these things, like people are saying the armory, they're getting all these supplies in and all of these flights and stuff. And so I got there, I'm like, yeah, I don't see it. And then my, we went to playgrounds and they were all taped off with police tape. I took my daughter with me. Oh wait, that's like, right. You, you do have kids. I forgot. I have kids. Yeah. So yeah, you have, have kids. Have a, okay. At the time of COVID to start um, an elementary and a middle schooler since, you know, now an elementary and a high schooler. But yeah, so my, my daughters. I feel for you, David. I mean, I don't have any kids, but I know plenty of people who do. And I know this is a very difficult situation for them, or right. it has been. So, you know, I feel for you, David. That's, uh, that's a lot of responsibility. You know, you're, I know Love you're you. married, you have kids, you got to look out for them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Married, married and children. Um, but yeah, well, it was um, what, you know, Bundy ran for four touchdowns at Polk High. <laughs> I never did that. I never like that, by the way. Good reference yeah. there, Al Bundy. So it was Love amazing, that. right? Because he got drafted in the NFL and played a few seasons and things like that. People don't don't know that about what that, that Al Bundy character. But so here was one thing that happened, though, Michael. So you know, I'm writing about this in my current book, The Velocity of Information, which is fascinating. Be out by the end of the year and all of that. But um, my daughter, who was nine years old in March. And, you know, so, you know, we're having, we have to say, you know, we're not going to Disney. And Disneyland, my kids handle yeah. it really well. Mm-hmm. My kids didn't, you know, throw a tantrum or anything like that. But we just said, and they kind of figured out, you know. Um, but, you know, um, my nine-year-old's getting messages from her friends. And they're saying, hey, they're ripping up the playground. They have a backhoe and they're taking the playground equipment out. And they have police there and the signs and the, the, you know, all the stuff. And they're putting, like, you know, barricades up in front of the school. And, 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 and of course, you know, she's terrified. By this she's like what is going on she can't go out anywhere like even like biking like her friends would come up to the house you know can she come out and play and but no not right now um but you know she so so how does this happen and there's this whole time dilation effect right i mean this time by dilation effect of when you're nine years old and this happens this is like 10 percent of your life for like me it's two percent of my life so this becomes this, this slow moving, huge thing that is all engulfing. Like when COVID hits and you're a kid. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Which I write about. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, that's going to be so, hard for a lot of the young kids, especially those in high school as well that, you know, they were going to graduate and yeah. had plans to do X, Y, and Z. And all of that is now scraped away. It really messes with young kids. It's got versus, to. It's got and to. It, it has a weird effect though on old people. And I can share that too because I have yeah, yeah. that already. I have that section already written in my book, like this fascinating interview of of elderly. Um, but but yeah. So my daughter, my daughter's nine, and and so so I can see she's getting very nervous, right? I mean, she's she she's not sure what's happening. Um, so I said, um, where what are you concerned about? You know, I'm concerned about the playground. I'm concerned about the school. I'm concerned about Walmart. All these things. And I said, okay, like we're going to go out today. Like you and I are going to do this video 
and um, it's not going to be public or anything like that. So, um, and she's, she was great by the way. Like she's, <laughs> she, you know, she's, she's, you know, I've got her doing the camera and, and other, and we're taking notes, you know, the places we're going to go and here's what we're going to look for. Face validity, right? What you observe, what you actually see. And um, we got to the playground. The playground was all roped off in police tape. Looked, looked like someone is horrible. Like someone had been murdered. There's just a surreal image. I took a lot of photos and I have a few that'll be in the book. So even for me, you know, like as an adult, I'm looking at this and it, it was so unsettling. And also we were, we were, the police pulled up, put the lights on, you know, the bubbles on and told us to leave. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, um, you know, they're, they're kind of in their own mode of, you know, we, we've got to enforce things and whatever. And I'm like, you know, we're, we're, it's just, I'm here with my daughter. We're obviously six feet apart and we're not on the playground equipment. We're kind of doing, they didn't care, you know, just you have to leave. Um, which, of course, is, sends a really bad message for my daughter. We get in the car, and they follow us for like two blocks, and I'm just like, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not going to try to topple, topple your dad over, over you know, what we, what we just did. It's a good thing you didn't get tased banned. there, by the way, David. What was that? I said, I'm glad you didn't get tased, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I've been tased before, so, yeah, I know that's – I know it's a – in a police training, I was tased um, – so as a school administrator, I was going to say, where were you? The uh, <laughs> right. capital recently, David? Right, right. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. And the funny thing is, right, before they tell you that, they're like, you could pee your pants when you do this. And if you do, like, well, quickly, we'll give you a towel and you won't be embarrassed. By the way, wasn't there a police officer who died because he tased himself in the testicles and he had a heart right. attack? I didn't want that. Like, take that option away. That's off the table. We're not going to do that. What a way to die, by the way, David. Can you imagine? You, you, t- you get tased and... And the right. testicles of all places, and then you have a heart attack and die. Right? You want you, you don't you Ugh. never want to, <laughs> wow. you know, to to be published or something come out of you tased in the nuts. Oh my gosh! His like, poor yeah, fa- his, his poor family. By the way, that that's <laughs> right. got to be so for years. My God. for years, they'll be like, you remember our uncle? Yeah, he he died. Oh. It was during like a taste in the nuts. Didn't he? Well, Jeez. no, we don't say that. He died in the line of duty. So, My God! But yeah, he did get tased in, in the nuts. He tased himself in the nuts, did he? I think I'm so. Not sure, it's an old story. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't know if that actually happened or not. We we need to look that up. I don't know. This guy's and he's probably going to listen to the show and be like, "I don't know." I'm so oh, yeah. I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But but yeah, I mean, so it's, so this thing of face validity. I mean, what do we actually see, Michael? And I I had somebody in my network who was uh, a lifetime. You know, he lived in the Bronx. Brian from the Bronx with his family and he lived in a, in an apartment in the Bronx and he would go out and, and every two days he would do these five minute videos and he would show me that he walked down the street and people would just like shuffle quickly to the other side of the street. They didn't want to make eye contact with them at the bodegas. You know, it was very streamlined. They wouldn't make, they wouldn't want any conversation. And he said, he sent me a video one day. It was maybe like end of April or something like that. And he was so excited. He's like, watch this and it was leaf it was some dudes out in front of his his apartment complex with leaf blowers and uh and he's and no one was confronting them no one's saying you're you're not essential you shouldn't be here like that was the thing right we we were all split into essential or non-essential all of us were essential or not um so that was a turning point for him he's like hey we're starting to return to some kind of similarity and i say there's never a normal there's nothing that's normal right um but it is, it was crazy because he said this was, it's really stood out. But because we taught, you know, he understood face validity. I, he was part of my network. And, and I had another person in my network who was, um, worked in IT and I had him on the show, Charles Mack. 
IT University of Pittsburgh Medical. And he was telling me, oh God, like I, he would send me pictures. I can say this now. He sent me pictures of his, his orders, his, his um, you know, this uh, Chuck is an essential employee and he should be allowed to come to work at the University of Pittsburgh Medical because of whatever, whatever. So he didn't want to send this by email because, you know, who knows, right? Um, so he's like, Good point. You know, I've, I've, yeah. 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 Who knows who'd be reading your emails? Yeah. Well, right. That's the thing. So he's like, I, I'm taking a picture of this and don't share this out, you know, at that time. But and he was stopped. He was stopped by the police and they say, where are you going? I'm going to work. I, I work in IT at University of Pittsburgh Med. And, um, you know, they let him go. But that happened more times than once. And then he also had an app on his phone um, the pit, the, the city of Pittsburgh put together of hot zones of COVID to like avoid, like don't right. go to these three blocks because there's a lot of people with COVID. Now, again, I'm looking at Facebook, like, that's just insane to do that. <laughs> and again, like if I'm a, so imagine I'm trying to sell my house a year from now and a realtor brings this up or whatever. And someone's like, well, you were in, you know, where you live, like that was kind of the COVID area. So like, I don't want to uh, buy a house from you. Yeah. That's the diseased peasant area. That is the, right. You don't, I don't, you know, and I'm looking at, <laughs> in a big picture though, this, this will be all be out there, right? You'd be able right. to bring this type of information. Out that's there right. Saying, Somebody in this house tested positive for COVID or whatever. And, and these things will start to really impact how we interface with people, how we do commerce or like, like I'm having, I'm having a new floor installed down here in the studio. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. <laughs> so I'm excited because, you know, it's a, it's a 17 year old carpet, which is, is just horrendously outdated and, and old. And, and, but you know, what if I went to the carpet place? I went there this week and I'm having a wood floor put in down here. It's simulated wood, right? And, and, um, but what if they said, whoa, wait a second, like somebody at your house had COVID, you know, which we didn't, but what if they said, you know, there's, there's a, there's a surcharge because we have an extra PPE level that we have to do in order to come into your house or also say like, you know, we, we're not going to come to your house and that could happen. Right. I mean, there, there, there is, there's very little from starting to, hey, well, we are getting to that point where you, layers. yeah, where you are going to be required to have some sort of form of ID showing that you were vaccinated. So yeah. That could happen in the future. Yeah. The, and to me, that's very frightening, right? <laughs> I mean, it's dark, but it's going to happen probably most likely since we are following in the footsteps of China for sure. Right. Eddie, and, and this is something I would stress to people is understand the, the social credit score system in China, which has been in place for three years. And it just in summary, you know, so I don't know, you have like a top score of 700 or something. And then, um, all your scores are publicly known, and it's based upon what you surf on the internet, your purchases, uh, your volunteer activities, whether you're on time for work, um, what time, you know, if you're over the speed limit, if you jaywalk. And if you jaywalk, for example, um, you know, your picture can be put up on a jumbotron and you can be publicly shamed. It's a different culture, but we're not that far away, right? Like if I've posted no, we're not. on Parler... Or Twitter, and somebody knows that, and they're like, "Well, Twitter's a parlor's a right wing platform. You posted on it, therefore you're right, you're right wing." Um, if I own a certain type of vehicle, if I'm in a certain type of area, this all of this stuff, you know, starts to get known. You know, we already have it, like kind of with like you know, if you go on and get your credit score, imagine that. But now imagine, you know, that this is a publicly known score, and all of these other things. And, and the thing is, like, right, Michael, these aren't objective necessarily these are subjective people saying well you shouldn't have been in this place at this time or you shouldn't have written this this piece on a blog post 
um, because it was it's anti-government or it's anti it, it like I had, you know I've had stuff flagged on COVID which has been very objective you know like I think the stuff I did with Carl Hop I got flagged yeah I had to I had to go in and rework that a little bit that's weird yeah, and, um, know, for the record these- yeah David and for the record let let's talk about COVID. Uh, just from the beginning here, let, let's start from the very... Absolutely. Yeah, let, let's start from um, the roots of it all here, going back to COVID when all this first broke out. What were your initial reactions to this, David? Did you think this was all nonsense at first? So, you know, probably probably November, my, uh, you know, my intelligence community started to bring this to my attention. So, I mean, you know, these, were, these were folks overseas in Hungary, Italy, um, Soviet Union, Australia, saying, yeah, this is starting to, to ramp up, you know, at least is how, how it's being portrayed, right? Like we're, we're with stay-at-home orders, restrictions, runs on supplies, things like that. So be aware of this in the U.S. Um, the thing with uh, things with COVID, right, ultimately, as I have, have said, you know, we need to look at mortality rate for 2016 versus 2017 versus 2018, 19, 20. And if mortality rate isn't significantly different this year, then why? Like what is, I mean, and, and I'm, it's on pace so far per the Centers for Disease Control and other, um, you know, a, uh, agencies that I've looked at, government agencies reporting, you know, total mortality rates. Um, yeah, we're way down on car crashes and heart attacks. But um, but yeah, I, I we, what did we see? We initially saw videos coming out of China where people were dying on streets, you know, passing, you know, they're just collapsing and dying. That was awesome, um, by the way. That footage right. was like a, a cheap horror <laughs> so, movie. So I'm thinking, you know, holy smokes, right? Everybody, I think, back in early March is anticipating this. And now, um, you know, I'm just, I, I you know, I, I struggle with it, again, looking at it from a scientific lens. Right. Looking at this thing. Okay, I'm, I'm a scientist, right? And a mask. So this was the big thing too. Everybody wear a mask. The oh, mask, yes. You know, as Carl and I, you know, talked and, and just anybody, you know, the whole thing was it, what is what is the difference between somebody making a mask out of a t-shirt, you know, which qualifies as a mask if they get into a store versus an N95 <laughs> or some other surgical type quality mask. And yes. Like, um, you know, I, I, I watched a number of professional sporting events. I mean, you know, and I'm like, well, if you took any, if you took a sample, a three by three cube of air from where the players are at right now, and and then put it into a lab, would that air have coronavirus? And it sounds crazy, but that's exactly what we do when we try to find mold in schools. Like that's a very perfected system. Every year, for example, in Wisconsin, we have 421 school districts, 2,200 school buildings. They do these mold tests and you basically go into these areas and you, you take like a cubic air sample of mold, you know, of uh, air sample and you determine if there's mold or other, other things in that, that, you know, asbestos, whatever you need to do attend to. But, um, so this isn't some bizarre science that we don't have the capacity to do. But so my question is like, why don't you do it? Well, because if you found out, how do you, how do you remedy it? <laughs> like there's how, what do you, what do you do? Like, so if you went into, um, you went into a store, went into a school, you know, any, a bus anywhere. And you, you take this air sample and it's like, yeah, there's COVID in the air. So like, now what? I mean, you, you can't retrofit. Like, for example, in my house, you know, I have a new fur- well, furnace. Did anyone catch COVID in your household yet? What was it about? Did anyone, yeah. Did anyone catch COVID yet in your household? No, 
COVID no. free out there. No, we yeah, we right are, on. Good we job. Are COVID free. It's Good actually job. like I have I have the blood type which is the most resistive apparently to COVID. Um but but yeah, I mean and my neighbors who who had COVID um tested positive, you know, a few you know, houses up the road. You know, they were getting pizza deliveries. They were outside oh my God. leaves, playing football. I mean, they were it wasn't spreading like it. it held them back. They were going out. Their vehicles were leaving. It, 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 they didn't have these restrictions. It's kind of weird. It's, you know, if people remember, you know, like polio and the plague. Back why didn't, the why, David, why, why didn't you burn their house down? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. As a firefighter, it goes against what you've been taught, you know. But, yeah. um, but, but the, even these common sense things, like I'd, I'd look and I'd say, they just got to the delivery from the pizza place and they walked right up to their house and they exchanged the package and the pizza dude wasn't wearing any protective gear. Neither were these people. Um, but the, you know, just see these, these, these weird fatigue points, right. In COVID don't make sense. And, and so, so my superintendents, for example, in fall, um, they were saying, well, we have, they would, they would have all students online for school. So nothing in person for, for school, all virtual education, but yet they would be running their fall football and volleyball teams and stuff like this in person. Yeah. And they said, well, we have, we have procedures in place that if somebody tests positive, then we will, you know, suspend all games for 10 days of practice. I don't know what it was, but, but I said to them, but the deal is like, you're not testing everybody every day. So this, and there's a lot of incentive. Like if I'm a high school senior and this is my last year in football and we might go to state and I'm not feeling well, for example, I'm not going to report <laughs> that I have, the, I'm not going to go in for a COVID test and sink my entire team, right? I'm not going to do that. So I said, this, this is just, you have this weird psychology that you're applying to this. If you tested everybody every day, which allegedly the NFL or Major League Baseball did, which I'm not, you know, that seems like a real weird set up too, like that had a lot of problems with it but but i'm like this is this the system doesn't make sense right because you you're just saying if somebody feels sick and they happen to go to the hospital and they happen to take a test this was the whole thing too you know remember remember michael we had you know this whole thing of we're going to make all these covid tests available to american citizens right get them. people are waiting for eight hours and i'm looking at that saying why why i mean because at that point like if for example, if the test comes back positive, which which the test time was what, like four, five, six days, people are getting notified. It, between that four, five, six days, one, you're, you're, you know, you could come in contact with someone that did have COVID. So if you were tested negative, that doesn't mean that two days after you had that test, you didn't come in contact with someone that was positive and now you're positive. But, um, but so what? Like, what happens? Like, what do you, how does that change your life? Are you supposed to stay at home? Are you supposed to give a list of people you interact with? How, how does that work unless you really have, for example, or, or they have access to all your cell data? I remember when I bought my car. I have a Buick LaCrosse. I remember I bought it, I bought it new a couple of years ago. And uh, one of the weirdest parts of that transaction was setting up the OnStar. And the, mm, so, you OnStar, know, yeah. the, the guy's like, you know, whatever. And so, um, but anyway, you know, some, and the guy said, um, so do you have kids? I said, yeah, I got kids. Any driving age? No. Well, when your daughter gets to be driving age, like you can track everywhere the car has been if, if she's in it, like it'll, and it, it can record her voice. Like you can, we can set this up where you can, there's an app and this whole thing. And you can record what happens in the car. I'm like, holy shit. Like, you can really? do that. And, um, with OnStar. Wow. 
and and uh, apparently there are these companion apps you can put into the system and and he said oh yeah you can monitor so if she said she's only going to whatever you can bring it up the next day and it will show you a map of everywhere the vehicle's been i'm thinking wow and i'm also thinking wow that's really bad like this is this is crazy it is i mean david you could have been one of those parents that uh install all those apps in their kids devices and you know watch them in real time i mean that's kind of creepy it it is it is creepy and it's also this reality right i mean like edward snowden type reality of yeah well this is never really off then right like if i were to go if someone were to 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 file a lawsuit against me you know as an expert witness i've I've had a lot of experience with with how to what discovery looks like for for information so let's say that someone's you know said i was it there's some lawsuit i'm involved in i know the lawyer would would immediately go to OnStar as a third party, remember third party doctrine, Carpenter versus US, and they would say, "Correct, you yeah. know, we need a warrant and we need to know where this vehicle was on these days. And they would provide it and it would say exactly where it was. And even if you weren't subscribed to OnStar, it doesn't matter, it's there. And so so this, this people need to know this, right? I mean, um, they, 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 they need to know that, I mean, you are always being tracked, right? <laughs> you're always being contact traced. You're always being tracked. And I guess a well, lot unless of that you're, is kind uh, of benign. Unless you work until... for Apple, by the way. I'm sorry, David. Oh, what was that? I said, unless you work for Apple. I, rem- I remember Apple refused to unlock one of the um, the shooting, uh, the suspect there, if I remember, back in like, uh, when no, was that? It wasn't that saying. long ago. Yeah, there was someone that, when did this happen? I'm trying to, trying to remember here. It was someone by the name of Roger, I believe. Yeah, it was, you're right. It was Roger McNamee. They, they would unlock so the FBI could get access. Yeah. Uh, but it, ultimately they did. Yeah. That they, was a few years ago in Anaheim, I believe. Right. And now, and so that's a good question, right? Apple. And now look where Apple kicks Parler off. You know, mm, right. Parler is not part. So, so we see this, this quick erosion. And, you know, we go back to right. 9-11 was, was really a big change for the social contract. Right. America, social contract being, um, we'll have some form of government. And this goes all the way. I wrote about my book, Hobbes Leviathan Meets the Twin Towers. It's a chapter in my book. It's pretty fascinating. Um, going back to like five, um, 1500 um, AD in Great Britain and how Thomas Hobbes was looking at government and how he basically came to the conclusion people want some government for some structure, but they don't want a lot of government. But what happened, you know, 9-11, we get all these crazy rules, right? You can only have a you know, small bottle of, of shampoo. Well, I mean, who made that decision? It was completely arbitrary, right? And like the whole six feet right now, social distancing, six feet. Well, what? there's no science behind that, right, Michael? I mean, I've looked at this. I've examined this extensively as I think it's further, though, uh, to be honest. I think the droplets, the aerosols, they spread out much further right. than six feet. <laughs> right. Um, right. I mean, so that's where yeah. that's where I talked about before. You know, you and I were talking. You know, if you actually took a a three by three meter sample of air, which is which can be done. This is this is this is routinely done in in industry air samples for asbestos, for air quality, for mold, and things like this. And it's not this crazy science that we're trying to invent. Um, you, you know, you could objectively find how long this stuff stayed in the air, but that's never been really published. I mean, we have some indications of that, but, um, you know, some people have said, well, it stays in the air this long or so, but we don't really know. We, we don't know, know, but they say that the, they say that newer strain that came out, the one that mutated recently, the one from the UK, they say that one stays in the air much longer. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you that, but 
All I know is I, I don't want uh, any disease, David. I, I like social distancing. Even though I, I have a show like this and I talk to you, I'm, I'm kind of like borderline antisocial in the sense that I don't really all like really want to be around too many people to begin with. Um, I like the fact that people have to stay a certain distance from me. I, I appreciate that. I'm someone who hated standing in lines and having someone right. breathe down my neck. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and Michael, I would say, um, I, I'm kind of similar in some regards because. Uh, you know, you and I, we talked about this in, in summer. So I live in Wisconsin. So you kind of have like two seasons, winter and summer. But um, in summer, I'll I'll go out. I'll get up at six in the morning. I'll bike the entire day. Bike like 80, 100 miles an hour. Yeah, you, bike, you bike are like, yeah you're like Lance uh, Armstrong <laughs> over there. Uh, yeah, I'm like an, an older, less fit version of uh, Arm, <laughs> Armstrong. but um, The mobster but version. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The mob. The mob version. It's, right. it's kind of neat because where I live, so Wisconsin, by the way, has has a high density of um, Indian effigy mounds, you know, from a thousand years ago. So I routinely bike past these effigy mounds. It's it's, it's interesting because nowhere in the in the else in the world has this. Um, but um, but yeah, so I, I'm out, you know, I'm out biking, but I'm a solitude person, right? Like I I don't want anybody else with me. Um, I just want, and people are like, you know, uh, it, it's it's been my personality since like kind of young on. So I, I stopped getting the questions of, well, don't you like hanging out with people? I'm like, well, it's not that I don't like hanging out with people. I just like, I appreciate solitude. Yeah. Lionel Fisher wrote a book um, on solitude and I, I love it. And I talked to Lionel, he died of cancer a few years ago. He was in his seventies. He's like a, a um, Marine veteran, but um, it, it, and his book really, it, it resonated with me because it was championing that, you know, solitude is just some people's jam. I mean, it's what they get into. And, and for me, like I love time alone. Like I, I me too, I, David. Yes, I absolutely find that. But there are, valuable. but there are those out there, David, that are completely outgoing. Not that I can't be, not that you can't be, but there are those out there who really depended on going out every time to eat dinner. You know the New York types. Right. So you know it really screws up their schedule. But not like someone like me or you. I mean, we're all about uh, loving thyself. Being at one right. <laughs> right. with a, being alone, being perfectly happy. I mean, I mean, that, that describes both of us. I'm pretty sure, uh, pretty good. I mean, we're, we're both comfortable being alone or with other people. It doesn't matter. We're, we're going to, we're going to shine either way. Right, David? No, we absolutely will, will, Michael. And I think that's a strength, you know, for us. And, um, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because my wife pointed out to me a little bit into coronavirus. She's like, this is, this actually plays really into your hand because you, you don't like hanging out with a lot of people or big groups or stuff like this. And I said, yeah, I, I don't, you know, even though I present it, you know, huge, uh, you know, venues to people on, on different topics and stuff like that. I said, this doesn't, you know, psychologically, that aspect of it didn't impact me at all because I'm a person that prefers you know, solitude. Um, but, but for a lot of people, they don't. Right. And, and you and I talked about this. So right. it's a big part of my book in, um, there's something called finite voltage and there was, um, so back, back in July of 1940, at, when, you know, us, um, is preparing to enter world war two, actually, you know, that happens of course, after the seventh, seventh, December 7th, 1941 with, uh, Pearl Harbor, but, um, the us, uh, FDR, um, put forward the Committee for National Morale, which basically um, a lot of uh, psychologists, sociologists, um, artists, so forth. Um, you know, Dr. Seuss uh, was part of that, right? But um, 
And, and they were saying, you know, they were trying to figure out how do we keep civilians upbeat when we know we're going to enter a time of extended chaos. So, um, you know, they came up with a lot of stuff, you know, just to keep people busy, like scrap drives, <laughs> you know, paint your paint the roof of your house white or your barn, you know, whatever white to re- reflect light so it doesn't need as much electricity so we can put that into the war effort. But um, they had a lot of interesting other things, like one, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of uh, visual representation. Um, it was, what was it? At, um, I think it, boy, I'd have to go back, take a quick look here at my, yeah, no I worries. just wrote this. Yeah, while you do that, I, you reminded me back um, World War II, I, I remember the Japanese actually had planned to use a biological weapon against um, civilians in San Diego. Right. Yeah, so um, right. biological weapons are nothing new. They've been used um, forever since since you could since you were able to poison the well as they say david you know you know catapulting um you know infected bodies exactly over over a wall but so that brings me to this question david do you believe that a covid19 is a bioweapon of sorts right that's that's a great question right um and i initially because i've I've taken this position before i'm not going to change from it you know i i believe this was engineered in a lab in wuhan um, if you look at the larger, you know, set of circumstances happening around Wuhan when the virus was released, the Yangtze River was flooding at an uncontrollable rate. Um, you know, there are many reports on the, the instability of the Yangtze Dam. So, you know, numerous um, high wa- you know, water releases that compromised the cities downstream, including Wuhan. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it it. Uh, uh, it appears like it's it's engineered, right? It doesn't. It, it appears that is an engineered virus that got out of control. Now, in every country, you know, is is working on you know some capacity of, of engineered you know bioweapons and so forth. But but yeah, I mean, I believe the um, this has the forensic appearance of a biological uh, warfare weapon um, that was released. Um, so. And I think it was secondary again to to the Yangtze River. By the way, Let's I just want to share this uh, comment with you, David. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think you might like this one. Um, Truth in doubt in the chat says, "My wife is a bioweapon." Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Truth in doubt. Oh my goodness, that must be uh, horrible to be married to the woman you are uh, uh, with. There, uh, truth in doubt. I'm sorry to hear that. That she is a bioweapon of sorts. <laughs> wow. My goodness, that was um, that was cold blooded, David. It is. I hope his is. wife isn't listening. Very calculated. <laughs> yeah. Very, very calculated. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so uh, back on track. I mean, yes. this, you know, of course, right? This will always be fogged and no one will ever really know and, you know, all of those type of things. But, um, but you know, looking at it, right, it does, it does seem It like does seem a little, it was, yeah, uh, a little especially, weird. Especially, you know, the fact that certain, certain people, like my blood type is the most resistive it and, and other you know characteristics of this where it seems like it's it's been engineered um it and again you know i look i look at the virus um the the vaccine <laughs> and oh yes the vaccine know, what do we really know about the vaccine except that you know modifies your rna and, and so i'm looking at that and saying well again you know as a scientist i know it's probably not a good thing to have your rna modified and, and what do we see now michael right you go to the grocery store and and if you buy milk 
there's a, a little tab underneath it, not GMO, not where GMO. you buy a cereal, not genetically modified. Right. Because like this was the big thing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, well, genetically modified. So it's resistive to, you know, pests and, and um, you know, drought or whatever. But mm-hmm. then there's consequences to eating, you know, genetic, genetically modified foods. Right. But, um, but yeah, this, this whole thing where, you know, your RNA is impacted. Um, I, I, that is a huge red flag. Well, this it, is the first time we, ever. This is the first time it's ever been injected into a human. And we've right, had some, yeah, right. so. So there's some. Some looking at this. Yeah, like there hasn't about. been enough research to me in this whole thing of, you know, Warp Speed or, you know, Pfizer. Well, of course, you know, they're, they're trying to get a contract. They're trying to get money. Trying to get that know, Pfizer, paper. Um, so, so what are the, the either short-term, long-term effects? You know, what, what do, what does it look like of children, you know, next generation out? Exactly. When? We don't know. We don't really know okay. what's going to happen later on. And by the way, the world needs to really find out the origins of COVID-19. Who did it? Who's responsible for it? Um, from my point of view and from my understanding, we are just as involved as those in uh, China are with uh, COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Looking, looking at how intelligence goes from country to country, and especially within the scientific and medical community, that's that's a lot more fluid internationally than you know what people <laughs> tend to believe. I mean, um, so so yeah. I mean, what is what is the role? Um, and, and, and these are, I mean, these are all great. These are all great questions that will somehow be answered in a forensic analysis, but they'll always still be really fuzzy. Like for, I mean, the, the moment that will they be answered though, David, that's what I'm wondering. Will they actually, yeah. will the, will we finally get the truth? Will the media actually tell us the truth? I mean, for no, <laughs> no. since the very, no, since, I don't think so. Well, the mainstream I mean, media has not even told us uh, any of the real science behind um, the virus oh, itself right. with HIV like homology inserted into the protein. I mean, they have not, revealed any of the hard-hitting facts yet it should make you question media uh, 100 no matter what side you lean on um get that out of your mind uh, left and right who gives a shit that right means nothing in the end those people don't it doesn't matter it means nothing right. david you Mike, know right. that Michael, you, you you you're saying um uh, you know you're you're pointing out what people need to to center on what they need to, to think about right now right right like we why haven't we had a two-hour um, time block on all media right all, all CBS ABC CNN whatever where we have scientists from the, the CDC or whatever you know I, I guess come in and explain this step by step to us in a, a a layman's term terminology format with you know um, you know um, with with video, with graphics, with all of that to give an understanding of people, you know, to, to people. But we don't. What we hear, what we just, you know, it's it's David Muir, you know, breaking news, you know, tonight on five thirty at ABC, yeah. and, and it's like that's all hype, right? That's hype. It's not. No one is attempting to do a an education process for for people. I, I, I guess even I, I would say education awareness, but. What did it seem logical? So I go back, I go back and I'm fascinated because when I'm writing my current book, Velocity of Information, by the way, so Velocity of Information just, just in a summary is, um, you know, in the first, when you look at a disaster in the first 48 hours, people just try to get information out about it, whether it be a 9-11, you know, COVID, whatever. COVID's a good example. Um, ventilators became a big buzzword and stuff like that. And it takes like, you know, a week until 
information really gets curated and then it gets kind of directed at you. You're getting emails from companies that you've, um, you know, done business with from Target, from Calvin Klein. Hey, Michael, you know, we're here for you. Anything that you need, whatever, Calvin Klein, you know, so forth. But um, so velocity is speed in a direction. Speed in a direction um, is, has changed. So like within 48 hours, all of us are getting inundated with, with information like on, on, on what we should believe, like what, what we should, what we should um, virtue, you know, these virtual signaling companies and, and this positionality. But, but again, we don't, I go back to this committee for national morale, FDR, World War II, July 1940. What the committee did a good job of, what World War II did a good job of, the morale committee was educating people to what was happening, like in the war, educating people to supply lines, um, you know, to to how manufacturing, you know, worked, how how warehouses got depleted. And I, I, I'm kind of oversimplifying some of these things, but um, but we don't we did, we had none of that. And I pointed out in the chapter I wrote today. Here here's an ex- here's a perfect example, Michael. So. Back in March, right when COVID is is hitting, you know, the U.S. It, this is when the NCAA shuts down, NBA, um, Disney shuts down. So everything's kind of going to hell, right? Stock market drops like you know five thousand, eight thousand points. People are buying toilet paper, yeah. People are buying, yeah. Toilet, everything's toilet paper is wiped out. Hand sanitizer is is like gold. Um, what what would have made sense, right? What would have made sense is to reboot this committee for national morale. This which existed under FDR, existed across all countries in World War II, kind of was brought back up during the Soviet Union when they had the Chernobyl nuclear uh, meltdown in 1986. But but it would have made sense for Trump or whoever's around Trump, whoever's in this administration, to sit down and say, listen, like we've got to, we know that morale is going to, to go sideways, that people are going to languish, this is going to get really bad, especially 90 days. We objectively know through studies that when people are in 90 days of chaos, civilians, they start to lose it. They start to to ha- suffer depression, anxiety, suicide. These things spike at 90 days. Depression in 1930s, World War II in the 40s, and then Chernobyl in 86 would have been the three examples for that. But we haven't really experienced it since then. But um, But like you would have had this committee that would have got together immediately with the president, vice president, whatever, and said, listen, we need to we need to reboot this committee for national morale like right now. And we need to come up with a national campaign for the next 30 days of like, you know, March 15th, April 15th to kind of get people like focused and on board. And so they're not languishing. They're not selling all of their stocks or, you know, all this stuff. And they believe there's hope we're going to be able to come out on top of this thing. So I wrote about this. And I wrote about it, you know, today, and I said, it would have made perfect sense, perfect sense to come out. Imagine if, if President Trump would have come out um, March 25th, and he's at the White House, and he said, you know, we, today, we are, uh, we are launching the fitness and fortitude campaign. It's very interesting, the language you have to use on this is studied by the Germans or World War II versus like campaign versus phase versus stuff. But anyway, imagine this, imagine if this would have happened. Today we are, you know, we are, we are announcing the Fortitude and, and Fitness campaign. Um, we have a, you know, government, you know, website where, you know, you're going to be able to to log in. Um, we're going to give you information on nutrition and fitness. We know that nutrition and fitness increase immunity. Um, we want you to be able to increase your immunity right now, which will make you, um, you know, more more likely that 
you will not get COVID, or if you do get COVID, you'll be able to recover, you know, better. And we're going to call this the Fitness and Fortitude campaign. You know, you log in, we're going to send you a patch. Now, this sounds crazy, right? You'd be like, why a patch? Well, the thing is, Michael, in World War II, that um, Dr. John Apple found that soldiers um, in the infantry, frontline infantry, when they gave them the blue patch for mm. their for their their uniform, yes. that actually increased their morale. They were able to stay on the front longer. In 238 days in the military, you were either killed, captured, or a victim of psychological collapse. So anyway, you could have put this together. And now I'm, I'm, I'm like creating something, right? I'm like saying this, you'd have to create this. The thing is, you don't really have to create this. In 2015, the military, the U.S. Army created what was called it, the Civilian um, Fitness Program. And they created it for all of the civilians who worked for the army to help them with fitness. So they could go on a website, they could log in, they could track things, they could get like little badges, bonuses, stuff like this. It already existed. So, it, it, and then in addition to this, it was in July of 2020, the Institution of Health uh, or, or Health Sciences came out with a study saying, you know, for COVID, yeah, you know, if you eat better and you work out, you're probably less likely to get COVID. Right. If you do, like, you're probably going to recover better. So this is a this is a national multi, or it's a multinational study that came out in July of 2020. So the thing is, why didn't that happen? Like, I'm I'm looking at this saying it's obvious when you hit a crisis situation, which is going to occur more than one month into months, right? You you follow this pattern of every 30 days, you break it up and you have something different. Why didn't you do this? So it's perplexing to me because um, this would have made perfect sense. You could have scaled this up in literally a week for anybody to have access. You could have worked with Apple and Google and said, listen, you know, you, they have an Apple Fit watch. They can log in. You could do crazy things too. Like you could say, we'll give you a tax credit. You know, if you participate in this and you do some fitness stuff, we'll give you a hundred dollar tax credit for next year. But the, it's psychological it's psyops, right? It's people thinking, okay, I'm in control. I have locus of control. I have control over myself and I'm doing something. I'm not just sitting here trying to knit 10 t-shirts together into a mask or I'm not trying to sanitize <laughs> my phone with bleach yes. because I saw my favorite celebrity do it. And, and this was very well laid out in this committee for uh, national morale and world war two, but worked very, very well. And I'm like, how the hell did that not get rebooted? Like, and it never got rebooted. Like we have no, we have, there's nothing to that effect. Um, now we have no national campaign for civilian morale, which is bizarre. Um, and it could be, it could be bipartisan, right? It could benefit both parties. I don't, I don't see this as being shut down. I, I mean, if, if I'm President Trump in March and someone brings this to me, I'd be like, yeah, we're all in. We're going to do this. And who's who's against this? Like, there's no opposition to it. You empower people. You already have the structure through the army. I, I uh, so so I think we have to ask these questions, right, Michael? Like, they're very important questions. Happen? The yeah. question to me is: so I, when I get in the book, I'm like, why is why isn't this there? Why 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 is hasn't this been rebooted? I think that's one of the things that um, we could thank COVID for bringing all of us, not just death. <laughs> David, but um, it's really, it's really sort of shined the light on all of our sort of um, in, in every area where we are very weak as a country, COVID has sort of shined its light on that. It sort of made us really evaluate, reevaluate our own lives. I mean, I, I, I did. I'm not sure about you, David, but I really 
reinvented myself this year. Well, last year, I should say. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Well, I was not in the same mindset whatsoever, David. Last year, I transformed into a different person, I would say. I'm not the same man I was last year or the year before. I really I'm going to press you. So go ahead. Go ahead. Give me the comparison. Tell me what, what's different. Well, I no longer work in the same place. I mean, that really made me happy. You, you, you really don't know how happy you are until you leave your job, David. I, I know. No, I do know. Oh, that. you do know. <laughs> Shit, me. then you do know. I do know that. <laughs> right. So that that's also part of it. I just changed everything about just the way I think and the, the way I um, live my life, David. Everything has sort of changed in a way. I no longer you know, I think, think about I think the same things I do. Aspects. Yeah, cold, yeah, right. Yeah, there, there are, there are many, very many positive uh, things that this has uh, brought to all of us. Yeah. For those that, you know, have been patient enough and had that sort of um, drive in them to reinvent themselves. Other people, not so much. They didn't really take this time. They didn't really take the advantage uh, that the time was given to us to really do something with themselves. Right, right, right. It, it's been, it's, it has given people a time to, to reevaluate. Yeah. What's important to, to them. That's uh, what COVID has done. You know, you really uh, find out what's important and what isn't. And, and so here, here's a question that comes up to me, or here's a statement that people will say. And then I, I usually will throw it back at them and ask them to study it a little bit. And they'll say, I just want things to return to normal. David, I just want things to return to normal. Oh, that's not like, going to happen. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, let's think about that. One is first is there is no normal. That's normal. And I wrote about that in School of Airs, you know, my, my book, School of Airs. Yes, um, there is no normal. Um, th- every day is always different. And, That's right. And we progress. There is a, 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 I wrote a chapter about this in, in my current book, Philosophy of Information, you know, regress to the mean. The mean is always changing. Like right now, what's different now versus March? Well, we have remote learning. Um, or, you know, all levels, like we know we, we remote learning, we can do our jobs remotely, some of us can, we don't have to go into the doctor for an appointment, we can do a tablet or, or an iPad, we can do like, you know, a, uh, you know, some type of remote, you know, meeting. Um, so we, we have that going on. So that's really good. Yeah. Um, we don't have to drive us. into work, right? We yeah. don't have a commute, we don't have to to spend an hour a day on a commute. So there are things battery life, right? So I have an engine, I have a friend who's an engineer, he said, Dave, in the last eight months, the the investment and the breakthroughs we've made in technology are through the rough I like bet, battery yes. life. And so he's like, would you really want to return to February of 2020? And I'm like, no, I, I wouldn't like there are these things that come together. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so, so it is this thing where I think people, people get, people long for, um, what did it, what nostalgia or they tradition. do. Right. They, they want to remember they, like people in our lives. They want to remember you like a character from a uh, cheers. Yeah, you never change. Yeah, like hey, it's Norm. Hey, yeah, it's David. You know, Norm. Yeah. Um, and you're right. People, people go back, and when I, I, so I did a graphic for the velocity of information, which was really, um, really thorough from March of 2020 to December 2020. A graphic representation of what happened, and also we had really weird things happen that people didn't pick up on, like um, all these new terms in our vocabulary: essential worker. Um. Social distancing, right? Um, uh, you know, PPE. So there were like seventeen terms that came in, and I have a background. I had a master's in speech language pathology. I worked as speech language language pathologist. I studied linguistics, and I said it's un, it's very 
um, rare to have in any year one word go from vocabulary to lexicon. So lexicon is what you and I use every yes, day. Sir. And in 2017, one word made it from vocabulary to lexicon. lexicon. That word was spaghetti map. Spaghetti. Believe it or not. <laughs> spaghetti map. So spaghetti map, spaghetti map is, is because there were hurricanes that year, Irma and Harvey, it was like, it looked like a, a bullet spaghetti had been dropped on top of Florida and it would be oh. like, here are potential routes the hurricane could, could go. Um, Interesting. So that be, yeah, it became a term, you know, in our lexicon. And right now, though, we have all these terms which are in our lexicon, such as um, social distancing. Social so distancing, you, fake news. Social distancing, you know what it means. I right. got six feet away from you. And right? like fake news and all these other cute fake words. News. Yeah, I mean, everyone Essential, now, yeah, everyone yeah. now is a wise guy. Everyone now has a cute little nickname for everything. Yeah, I, I, I see it, yes. It really, <laughs> it really has messed with vocabulary and lexicons. And that also take it, it's a psychological toll, and especially on younger people. And, and I, I mentioned this earlier in the show, and, and I want to cycle back to it. So I had a close friend of mine who's a mental health professional, and she said that her siblings contacted her and said, you know what, um, I think dad has dementia or like Alzheimer's. Oh, they, uh, how dare she say that? So, so right. So, so her siblings are contacting her. She's a mental health professional. Um, so, you know, she, she's able to make this assessment. So she meets with her dad, um, and she doesn't, doesn't see them quite as frequently as they do. And she meets with them and whatever. And she's and her conclusion is, yeah, dad, dad's fine. But, you know, dad no longer goes to the casino because it's been shut down. Um, you know, a lot of things that dad kind of did, um, have, have changed, you know, so like they're not having the, the, baseball games in town that he used to like you know go down to and watch and things so like time doesn't mean much to dad like it doesn't mean much to dad if today is Monday because they're like dad doesn't know what day it is and she's like well but he doesn't need to know what day it is like you know when when she was asking him questions he knew you know the the answer to to questions he's able to do what's called a kind of a mini mental exam of of able to add when were you born you know these type of things and questions and problem solve but but like he was disconnected from time it didn't matter to him anymore. Um, and, you know, NCAA tournament was shut down, which he was like really into. He's like, you know, his eighties. Um, and she said, there's nothing wrong with him at all. Like, but it, this is just the environment, right? He doesn't indeed, this has all changed around him. All the stuff that he used to participate in has been shut down. The yeah. Any meetings that he used to go to and just sit in. And Bingo is gone. Skin. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but this was, and this was really weird for her siblings because they wanted to pathologize. And that's something too, you know, I wrote about in my book is, or the book I'm writing right now is, you know, a lot of people are trying to pathologize and the elderly, a lot of them have just kind of drifted off. Like I have a lot of elderly, you know, relatives and they're kind of like, you know, they don't even well, know what's going on in the world right now. They're, they probably don't they even do, know. They don't yeah. know. They're asking me, you know, what's going on. Or why is everyone wearing you know? a mask? Who, why are they, why, why, why does everyone look like a ninja? <laughs> why does why does yeah everyone look like a ninja? What's happening? And there's certain things like also like you, I think I kind of want dementia now. <laughs> I think I want that. It, it is it's so it 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 is this kind of weird liberation. Um, and 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 the other part was she's like, do you know? She said my siblings wanted to force this this reality onto my my dad. Right? Oh her, no, her, her dad. It yeah, he's like the reality is you know COVID had shut these things down and whatever whatever and. And things, and I'm like, you know, that, that's pretty, 
pretty brutal to do that. There's no empathy in that. Like, why? I mean, the guy's 85, 86 years old. Yeah. He's got a couple of years left. I mean, who cares? He's not, he's not going out, you know, confronting the postman of this right. some cons- conspiracy and trying to, you know, sh- do to tip over the postal vehicle with his tractor or something. I mean, it's just, so some of this is, you know, I think Michael and you, you do, you know, you've done a great job. I really appreciate your show, by the way, but um, Thank you know, there's you. an empathy part Thank of you. this. There is an empathy part of this. And I, I had somebody very close to me who contacted me in, in March when COVID was, was, you know, we had the safer at home orders, all the schools were shut down in Wisconsin and, and nobody knew what was going on. Like everyone's like, are the stores going to be closed? Are we all going to be, you know, have to register before we go out somewhere? We're going to have an hour and, very close uh, contact of mine said, the state border is closed. You can't go to Illinois. Not that I want to go to Illinois anyway. I'm like, nope. <laughs> and the only time I went to Illinois, I skip right past the, the toll booth and you never find Nothing it. important there. You don't want to go no. there, David. Don't <laughs> no. worry. That's the last place you want to be. <laughs> don't I'm go like, there. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's just doesn't have an impact. On me. But the part, you know, the part was, so... But he's telling me this and he's like, I've, 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 I'm like, well, where did you hear this from? Like, were you down there? No, I wasn't down there. I heard this from people who were trying to cross the border and they weren't allowed to cross. But right there, it's not firsthand information. It's this whole I observed. And then I'm like, okay, so I, you know, you, you start to pick it apart a little bit more and he's, he's not certain on the information he's giving me. So I have two choices at that point. One is I can press him. I can be like, give me, tell me who's telling you this. Like, give me a right, link, give me right, a phone right. number, give me, and I'll call them right now. And I want them to take a picture and I'll share this out because I do have a robust, a robust network of people I'm working with. This yes, is sir. very important information to turn into intelligence. But instead of doing that, I just said to him, I said, I have a different set of information than you have right now. We have different sets of information. The information I have isn't bringing me to the conclusion that you have that the border is closed. So um, you know, I'll try to gather more information and we can touch base, you know, later on with this. But what I did is I preserved his dignity, right? I didn't smash him. And I, that's the thing. That's like, a some good thing. People with their parents and their elderly parents, they, they're trying to smash them. You must believe in, you know, all of the, you know, whatever's that's happening. That's not the wrong. COVID yeah. And, yeah. And, and, that, that's the, the wrong. currency and Italy's going to collapse and we're all yeah. going to be, everything's going <laughs> to go to hell. And I'm like, you, you don't need to break. You people. don't need to do it that way. Yes. Yeah. So it's very true. I mean, <laughs> It's always the way you say things. It doesn't really matter what you say. It's how you say them, David. It goes a long way. And that's what I learned. I learned that the hard way. And there are some people that you can't really sort of just um, bury them that way. You know, you got to be very light with some people. And that's, I think that's kind of the mistake even the president might have done. He, what I, what I, what I think, um, this is just my opinion. People can believe whatever, I was going to say the F word. People can believe whatever they want. I, I don't care. But here's the thing. I think the one of the one of the ways I think he really dropped the ball, David, in my opinion, is the fact that he did not win his enemies over. He right. did not study the art of war properly, David. You're always supposed to win your enemies over. That's how you defeat the enemy. Right. Right. Yeah. That's. I'm it, dangerous, David. No. <laughs> I would know. No. No. It's. Yeah. I agree, Michael. Right. And and that seems. It seems really. Um, fascinating to look at that from a Corona optic of saying, you know, especially, if, you know, that from March on to, to not be very overt, at least in a public eye that um, you're, you're trying to work across the aisles in, um, you know, I, I guess not only defeating Corona, I don't know if that's the answer. I don't know what the campaign would be, but, but that it's very unified. I mean, cause, cause to me, wasn't it Reagan back in, 
the you know Reagan presidency said you know if we, if we had a you know aliens a UFO you know attack the the world that's a great speech yes sir and, great speech and, right it was it, and actually you know President Trump could have used that yes sir um, type of approach and and said we need and not only that but you could have you know been this unifying force across countries and. So, so whoever is informing the president, I mean, a lot of this too is like, I'm like, you know, I, I love the movie, the American president with Michael J. Fox, um, oh, great by the film. Way, but, um, but I'm like, who is informing the president? Because like, you know, bring me on board. I would, I would have a very logical way to, to have you present things that would, would portray a very unifying effort. Um, and uh, you know, whether you're genuine or not, I would hope you're genuine, but I mean, this is, this is really bizarre. And, and, you know, like what I just talked about, you know, like how we should interact with elderly people right, right. who are, 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 um, disrupted or separated from their schedule. Um, no one's doing that. Like, you know, I, this is a thing that really burns me. Okay. So, <laughs> so, uh, here's an example. Um, I did, I wrote a piece for, um, uh, for crisis response journal about the, um, the, the Notre Dame, uh, cathedral fire, right? So when I, the, when Notre Dame burned, um, I, I was, you know, I was watching that, right? And I knew people in France and, and, and I did a little bit of quick study on it. And like a day later, I came out and said, you know, like, what was it? 800 tons of lead were vaporized. <laughs> so I brought up the map of the air cloud of the lead and I knew exactly where this was landing. And I said, all these areas are screwed. Like these are, these are all death zones for the next 20 years. And of course, like I was contacted, please take that down. And I mean, there was some, some very heavy, you know, influence to, to, you know, coming down on me of saying, you know, please retract these comments and things. I said, well, this is all true, right? I mean, there's nothing we know that lead in, in, you know, bodies of water, lead in soil, you know, have these areas. So what, what should really happen, right, is they should be taking samples of people in these areas where the cloud of 800 tons, and that might not be accurate, but I mean, it was this, this cloud of lead, which was, was vaporized and lead vaporizes a relatively low temperature compared to where the, the wood was burning. But, um, all these people should be tested and, and for lead in their blood. And then they should, there's, there's ways to remediate this. There are treatments to remove lead from blood, but you know, it's very expensive. So it's like, it never happened. But the other part was, um, you know, Macron the next day came out, president Macron standing in front of the still burning, the embers are still like, you know, red hot behind him. And he said, and I wrote about this again, in my current book, he said, we're going to rebuild, you know, Notre Dame, no matter what it costs. And so I wrote about this. And it, you know, it's published. It's out there in Crisis Response. A great article, one of the best I ever wrote. But I said, stupid things say, absolutely stupid. Um, because maybe you shouldn't rebuild it. Like, <laughs> I mean, what if the engineers come to you and say, like, yeah, this thing is pretty much toast. I mean, like, you know, the the I almost the, forgot that it burned down back in 2019. Right, right. So, so the thing was, you know, so bill, you know, billions of dollars to repair this, but, but the thing is like, should you really repair it? Like, did it make sense to repair it or maybe preserve part of it and use the money elsewhere? But you had, the, but the thing was that, that was. The less churches, the better, in my opinion, David, but <laughs> so, that's just my, you know, my opinion. So, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about everything. So, you know. So, you know, I, I'm going at this and saying, well, you know, the, the part of this though, that they're, they're, what this is conveying is this whole thing I wrote about in my first book is the Taurus or self-similarity. People will fight to 
not have things change. They want things to be similar. We saw that 9-11 people in the towers, you know, they stayed at their desk for four out for four minutes before leaving because, you know, this isn't, this isn't actually. People are afraid to change, David. Yes. So, so yeah. So this whole thing of Macron, what he did is he just was trying to bring this, force the similarity or forces Taurus, T-O-R-U-S, which I wrote about extensively again, um, Taurus theory. It's kind of my expertise, right? Taurus theory, finite voltage. Um, You're a wild man, so, David. So yeah, I am a wild man. Dr. So David. I said, I said this stupid thing for him to do. But then, of course, David Muir, the next, you know, two days later, he's over there and he's got like a, he takes his bare hand and he wipes it across a piece of wood and, and all of the, the, the dust collects on it and his hand is caked. Then he's like, you know, so much lead here, you know, so it's such a dangerous area for you. And, you know, he doesn't have a mask or anything. This is just, you know, theatrics. It's stupid of you. Like, this, you're an idiot, man. But, of course, you know, like, you have a big following in people and you have to rebuild. And and so this is where people people try to, people get confused. Like, they want to get back to what's similar and what's familiar in nostalgia. And they don't stop and pause and say, does it really make sense to rebuild cathedral i mean does it really make sense to do some of these things to get back to where that we were like does it make sense to get back to in-person learning for you know k-12 or for colleges or should some of this always be online or more of it be online now or you know i mean so so this is a question i think COVID has kind of forced us to and yeah we we fight this taurus this again t-o-r-u-s with self-similarity of people not wanting to realize when things are are changing the except it's like imagine any of us right now power blacks power, power goes out we're in a blackout so like the first two minutes we're probably chilling okay power is going to come back on like 20 minutes we're like well what the hell why is not the power come back on and then like you know 20 hours from now we'd be like well whoa like i've got as i've got to start to game plan this like you know my fridge is going to go you know the stuff i have in my fridge is going to go bad um you know there's other considerations so so that's the thing is like everybody is always in this mode of the power is going to go back on and they don't, they don't, they don't take these opportunities to say, well, maybe there's a lot of good things that'll come out of this. Like for me personally, you know, I, I have a bachelor's degree, two masters and a PhD, which is a, I would not advise that upon anybody as a route to, to a career, but um, maybe like down the road, if you're 18, I mean, like maybe it's 18 year olds coming up now, you get a certification program in uh, computer coding or something like that. And by 20, you've got your certification, you're out working. Like you're not doing this big investment. Cause what have we seen? Like all these college towns shut down. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Th- th- that's another thing that we will have to sort of um, see where this leads us. I mean, that's really thrown a pitchfork or a fork rather into everything really in terms of education, in terms of um, viable education. I mean, uh, if, if I get a degree in like, um, what, what's a very useless degree besides communications? <laughs> um, anthropology. <laughs> anthropology. Yeah. What am I right, going to do right. with that? Right. <laughs> right. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So I say that because when I was in college, I had to take a, an anthropology class. And I remember um, we, we had to make, we had to flint nap, which was making the flints that would go on the end of arrows and, and our instructor um, had the Kohler um, company, which made toilets. They, mm, right. they, they brought him all of their defective toilet tops <laughs> that go on the back of your toilet. Yeah. And apparently if you chip these off with a sharp rock, it would create a flint. And so I remember doing this as, as part of a class lab and my hands were all cut up and bleeding 
And, you know, he's like, oh, you're doing it right. You know, all this stuff. I'm like, but but why am I doing this? Like, what's the deal here? Well, now like, you have a hep C, David. <laughs> I have hep C. <laughs> Is I, it worth I'm it? never going to be able to look at my toilet the same way again <laughs> after this experience. And I'm like, you know, um, I, I get it. Like, you could have just told us this is how they did. But it was this, this whole weird thing, right? Like, and, and all, I, you know, I, I, I went back through all the courses I took. And actually, my PhD courses were, were very valuable. I mean, once, I, once you get into a PhD program in a rigorous university, I, I, you know, I, I, I think there's a different tier there. But so much stuff that I took which right. was completely useless, completely useless. And, and, and just, you know, this, this whole thing of what, yeah, college experience and putting people into debt and then indoctrinating yeah. them. You know, I, re, I remember I, I burned all of my high school grades um, two years ago, my parents kept them in a box, really? <laughs> all of my grade reports, and they brought them up to me and they said, here, here's your grade from 10th grade English. They kept all whatever. that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, you, know, you can do it. You can do whatever you want with these. I'm like, well, I'm going right. to burn them. I have a wood fireplace. I have no use for this. But I read through them before I burned them. And actually, some of them were pretty snarky and, you know, um, it, and, you know, I, I, I did well as a student, I guess, and stuff like that. And, but, but I'm kind of like looking at this thing, what an asshole, you know, like <laughs> here I am, I have a PhD. I've been on PBS twice. I have a published book. I have another significant book coming out. And, you know, who are you to, to, you know, take this shot at a, at a kid, um, you know, a 16, 17 year old kid. I mean, now at the time I didn't really pay attention to it, but as I, as I was going through this, I'm like, what did you ever do in your life that <laughs> kind of reached the level of some of the stuff that I've done or some of the people that I interact with? I mean, it was, it was just, it was this weird feeling. Um, it, it, you know, it didn't, it wasn't depressing or anything, but it was, it was this weird, this weird thing to read how people, you know, the, the little comments that they would write and, you know, others were great, you know, the, but some of them were, were really, and I, I don't know, I mean, were they jealous at the time of, of some of the things or like, you know, I don't, it, it was strange. It was, it was a strange experience to, to read through those. Um, it reminds me of the internet and comments, <laughs> the comment so section, the, the comment, yeah, the comment section. I remember I did a video. I went, so, so, you know, you talk about, you know, life changes and things. So it was back in, God, was it 2014? I left a, a high paying, high profile job. We had a, we had a change in, in management. Um, it, it just it was it was really a it was time for me to leave. It was a, a very frictionless exit. Um, I talked about that on another show. I won't get into it in this show, but as you said, you know, you know these times in, in life. So and and I left this position, which was the greatest thing for me, by the way. Um, it, and that's one thing I would tell anyone in your audience, and you know, share that post that. If you've left a position that's just sucking life out of you, even though you got paid really well for it, right. like good for you. Like good for you because life is short, <laughs> right? Like life two is years short. ago, it was January 18th of 2019. I was in a serious multi-car accident. And I remember like, you know, EMS and fire saying, oh God, it was, it's a miracle you weren't killed. I mean, because they're looking at the vehicle or looking at where I was. And I'm like, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, right, if you're, if you're in this position where, you know, you, you're, you've exited a job that, that hasn't, um, you know, um, brought, uh, you know, has, has been dragging you down. Good for you. I mean, that you got out of that situation, but, but I got out, I got out of this job and the next summer, um, you know, I had some time free and my dad and I, we did like a couple weeks. We went to like state parks. We just like did a road trip for two weeks and we were up North in superior Wisconsin, superior Duluth, and they have a Harbor. And these thousand foot freighters come in and out of this harbor. It's really awesome. 
I mean, just to think about that. And next to it, they have this 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 um, ore mine in Hibbing, Minnesota, where they during the World World War II they got most of the ore for the the boats and and tanks and all that from this this mine. So we went there on a day they were doing a blast, and I had my camcorder and I did a video of this blast, which was pretty phenomenal, right? Because they don't do these very often. I posted online. And somebody like downvoted it. And I'm like, who the hell downvotes a blast, a video of a blast of a ore mine? I mean, it was awesome. It was, it was this fascinating clip. And, you know, I didn't, and, but I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm just kind of like, it's just somebody who's just needs to be negative because there's nothing negative about this video. It's just, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool video, right? It's a, it's a little cool video clip. But as you said, there are, there are people who we think just, uh, feel like the internet can be their place to elevate themselves by being negative against other people. Yeah, but sometimes yeah. you need those negative comments, though. They they are fun to read. They, well, they, yeah, they are they are they are fun they are fun to read. Um, and you're right. And and everybody will this whole thing. I learned about confirmation bias. You know, when I was doing my PhD program, people will see things the way that they want to see things, and. I remember when I presented both times on PBS. So when you present on PBS in front of a live audience, um, what doesn't get shown on TV is you, you're required to stay afterwards and answer questions from the audience. Which oh, can take like Q and A. I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. Oh yeah. So, so then when the, you know, the camera goes off and all that, then, um, it, you still so, got to work. Yeah. So okay. in 20, I, in 2013, it was maybe two hours and it was probably more like five hours in oh, 2019. Shit. Okay. Um, and actually like a group went down to a bar with me, like that was like three blocks away nice. from the studio. And, okay. And it was this crazy experience, Michael. Actually, I couldn't even find my car. Not that I was in taxi. I, I wasn't, that. it was a, it was a rainy night. I had a party. And this, and this was for ramp. PBS. <laughs> <laughs> and people, and honestly, like I had this, I had like 12 people. I had an app on, and it would try to locate my car. It's when I bought that Buick and people are like trying to help <laughs> me find my car. And it was ridiculous, right? But because they're fans of me, like they've watched me present. You didn't have OnStar I, at the time, David. I, I, I don't know what was going on, but it was, it was the strangest, it was the strangest <laughs> night because yeah, there was severe weather. I remember that night. Um, so, but it, which was, which was wild because part of the presentation had talked about this F5 tornado, which had struck like 30 miles away, you know, like 10 years ago, but. But so, so yeah, so the thing is like you're answering questions and, and people obviously want to have you validate because you're an expert, right? I'm standing up in front. I've just been on national TV. They want you to validate whatever experience they've had. <laughs> so they're saying, you know, in my, in my school district or my experience with chaos, like I've had this and it's, you know, it sounds like you're, you know, you're on board with that. Right. And I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't know your context and situation, but, but, but it was very evident to me of people kind of just came to there there was a certain amount of of the audience just came to have me back up the way that they believed <laughs> like that was their own purpose was to say this guy backs up how i feel about you know whatever or social media or mental health you know whatever um and and i had some people really twist their questions and and stuff that's how people and, are david yeah. Yeah. It, it, it stood out. So, and I mean, I had people, and you know, it's, it's, it's awkward, right? Because like you, you give one person an, one time to answer a question and then they come back and with a follow up question and follow up. I'm like, shit, there's like four other, 400 other people here. I mean, like we gotta, you know, you're not the whole show. You gotta wrap but, it up. Um, I would say it's, it's weird. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's another thing that I've learned later in my career is the positionality of 
people. People want to see three things that align to their beliefs. Exactly. And they don't want debate, right? No, <laughs> they don't not want at debate. All. They don't want to read the negative comments. They don't want to read, you know, um, they, they don't want to get an email um, from someone who says, Hey, you know, I watched your presentation and, and whatever. And, and I, you know, I welcome that. And I, I, I feel confident, especially when you write a book that is very contra uh, industry in school safety. You know, when I, when I wrote school of Airs, I knew I would never get a job again as a school administrator when I published that book, when I, I worked through a publishing house to do it. And it's an, it's an awesome book, right? It's, it's absolutely outstanding, but I knew once I wrote it and once I challenged the industry, I was done. Your career was up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that see. was, that was it. It was the final slamming up, but it was an honest book. It's truthful. It's fully cited, you know, strong index. So no one has been able to challenge the book. Um, no one's been able, you know, it's been out there since 2019. The book is rock solid. I think it's had positive impacts for parents through the, in, 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 in the industry overall. But, um, but it is a bold move, right? It's a bold move to actually say to the publisher, you know, under contract, go ahead and put it out. Um, and, and kind of sign that. It's like signing the constitution, which who was it? Like, you know, Ed, or not Edison, but, um, Thomas Jefferson wrote it, um, very, wrote his name very large. So even without glasses, you know, you'd be able to read it. <laughs> so he's like, you know, I know I'm signing my death warrant here if we lose, if we lose, um, you know, our, our battle with, with Britain. And I, it was that way with School of Airs. It was a very risky move to write that book. Um, and, and yet it is the most honest book about school safety. It's, you know, chaos theory. It's telling you why schools are paying $3 billion a year for stuff that doesn't make them safer all the crazy stuff to indoctrinate your kids into um, this, this hyper realistic safety theater, which is just causing psychological damage. Um, so, I mean, I was able to take on the biggest players and, and win. I mean, because I knew what I was doing again, a lot of them aren't scientists, right? I, you know, I'm a scientist I'm, and, and I was able to not only hold my own, but to, to win. I was brought in to testify against, um, a, a bill which would have allowed schools to basically circumvent building codes for doors and you could put it in any type of lock system you want. So imagine Michael, you're in a, you're in a building and, and in order to get out, you have to turn, you have to pull the handle down, enter a four digit code and like sing a song. Why? <laughs> I mean, something like that. What so a I mean, you had, <laughs> right. Right. And I don't sing well, so I'd be screwed right there. I'd be locked in the room, but um, so you, you have all these multi-layer systems that would have been, Sold to schools, for example, and I said, I, I before you know, I testified on this, and I have the testimony. It's like ten minutes. It never made it public, but when I testified, five minutes later, the bill was shut down. They said, "We're not going to win this. There's no way." Well, because I said, every kid with a disability, there's no way in hell they'll get out of this room if you're going True. to put the handle down. Plus, remember a four-digit. Even if the four-digit code is written up above. Type in this code on this keypad. I said, "You're you're going to these people will die." Yeah, I, mean, I remember the, the, code. the Our Lady of Angels fire in Chicago. I mean, I wasn't alive at that time, but I studied it extensively. I said, "This is horrible. Like this is crazy legislation." And you know, if if you do this, people people will die. There will there will this will be a matter of time. It'll happen. And um, but the fact was, I was I was you know I, I I was so powerful in the presentation. Plus, again, you know, on PBS twice. You know, published author, numerous books, PhD. Yeah, they didn't want a lawsuit on their hands, David. That's for sure. Well, and I'm a, and I'm an expert legal witness, so that's I know right. how this works. So I, yeah. I kind of pointed that out, and it shut it shut it down. And I'll never forget how how I felt after that because I felt wow, like you know, I 
you know, I've seen this happen before, but one person has a lot of power and I, I have that testimony. It's, it's interesting because it's, you know, it's, it's a NDA. So it's not, it wasn't a public testimony. It was before, before the legislature legislature, but I have a copy of it because I said, you know, obviously I'm not going to do anything unless I have a copy because you could twist my words. So I need a copy. Right. To, to yeah. Good thinking to, there. And uh, David, I, I hate to do this, <laughs> you know, you, but uh, David, we, learn? We, we are kind of coming up on a close here, but yes, finish. Oh what, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It's oh okay. yeah. No, no. You kind of learn those things, right. As an expert witness of how to, how to protect yourself too. You know, like, you know, I, I always say to people, I'll, you know, we can have this conversation, but it's going to be recorded. You can have a copy. I can have a copy, but it's going to be recorded because you're not going to, you know, manipulate what I say or, you know, likewise. It's a good move. And as I do that in yeah. the book, for example, you know, I, I interviewed, you know, very high, you know, very, you know, people with, with careers that could be significantly impacted if I incorrectly quoted them. So I said, I'll, I'll record it. I will send you a copy of the, this, you know, I'll have it transcribed mm-hmm. professionally. I'll send you a copy. I'll maintain a copy. You can review it beforehand. And then after that, if it goes to press and you have a problem with it, it's on your hands, not mine. But yeah. Very nice. Well, David, I would love to continue this conversation with you. And I'm sure my listeners would love to listen to the rest of this. So I would have to um, bring you back on in the near future, David. It's been a blast to talk to you. And of course, if anybody wants any more information on Dr. David Proden here, you can visit schooloferos.com and I believe it will take you to an Amazon link where you can find his book. I think that's correct, right, David? It is. It is. Yeah, that'll take you right in. Um, and yeah, and, and the book actually, you know, sells robustly. It's in hundreds of libraries across the world. Um, I just saw it, you know, pop down to like 100,000 a couple of days ago. You know, nice. so there's like, what, 23 million books on Amazon. So it, it all countries, except it's banned in Germany. Banned. It, it actually is banned because of uh, the chapter on professional standards of learning. Germany banned the book. <laughs> Germany banned so the book. So you're screwed. <laughs> wow. I had no idea Germany would do that. I love, uh, you know, German engineering is probably the finest in the world, in my opinion. I, you know, I, I can't help but put over the Germans and their engineering. Uh, many of the products I've owned that are German engineered have always been top talent. They've lasted forever. I don't know what I don't know what it is about those Germans out there, but they know something. They do, I, you know. And I have a lot of friends in in Germany, and also friends um, at the university level in Germany, and and they're wonderful. I mean, they're outstanding, outstanding folks, and and they rib me too. They're like, you know, because um, I've been able to get my book over to them, to them, which is kind of like a Samistat thing, right? <laughs> like, and one of them actually uses it in a university course. Um, but but you know, I the guess the satanic peril, work uh, of David Proden. In Germany, yeah, it's a bad thing. Like I don't, I don't know if I could ever. And Merkel's gone, but I don't know if I could ever, if I could ever work my way into Germany at this point. That's funny. You know? On so. the no-fly zone, uh, the no-fly list here, uh, David Proden. It's been an honor and pleasure <laughs> to have you here. It's been fantastic. It's been a top talent show. And uh, before we cut loose with you, David, is there anything you'd like to mention before we part ways here? Yeah, absolutely. So, so likewise, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, this evening, and and I, I love your work, uh, Thank Michael. you. Thank you. So, you know, like I said, I I I shared with you, and I shared with people. You know, I listened to several hours of your your content, and I apologize for every hour, David. Yeah, I, right. I know it was very, um, it was very vulgar. Some of the words <laughs> that you heard there. So, I apologize greatly. Wow. I know it's not for everyone, but it is entertaining, and it is better than a fatal car accident. That's for it sure. Is. It is. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's in my wheelhouse and, and I appreciate it. And, 
And I, you know, I ultimately think, you know, these type of conversations, this type of dialogue is, is what will, will be elevated. Um, and what, you know, people will seek this out, you know, citizen journalism. Right. Um, and, and I've written about that too. And, and so I, I think we're in this, this fascinating part of this almost Samistat, M-A-S-M-I-Z-D-A-D. Samistat, just look it up kind of like while that was happening in, in, in the Soviet Union back in the eighties, how people were getting information that was really authentic versus the state narrative. And I think you provide that, you know, and I think it, I know you provide that and I appreciate that. People want to follow my work, um, check out safetyphd.com. Please subscribe to my channel on YouTube. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a niche market, right? You know, anyone talking about school and community safety, Very. there's, there's yeah. not a lot of people interested. But again, once you get into that zone, I think I'm kind of, you know, one of the best in there. And then, you know, there, there are a lot of guests I've had on who will fascinate you. You know, Larry Lawton, America's biggest jewel thief. Like, you know, listen to me interview Larry about how Crazy. he found out about 9-11. Let me, you know, I interviewed a guy who was Rob Travis, who was on an Alaskan crab boat for 122 days. Most dangerous wow. job in the world. Um, by Bureau of Labor Statistics, and he talked about, you know, every day you almost got killed. Yeah, and, I would imagine. Uh, That's so not a place for me to be on a boat there, yeah. So so these stories, so yeah, so go through, and I think you're going to find um, some shows that you're going to be like, yeah, I, w- I want to listen to this. You know, I want I want to download this and listen to it, and, um, and you know, it's all about contributing to the, the knowledge base, you know, kind of like, you know, obviously what Michael's doing, and, and you know, I, I really appreciate people who have an interest in my, my work, uh, yeah, it's very authentic. So again, safetyphd.com, you can kind of find everything that you need there. And, and thank you. You know, I've been following the chat on a different monitor and I, you know, I don't type very, very well, um, very fluently, but, um, I'm, I'm so thankful, you know, creative accident has made, you know, many creative accidents. Thank you. So many terrific posts here. Um, you know, the other side, Matt friend, um, so forth. Um, just, you know, thank you so much. Yeah. They're a wild all, bunch, all, but all they enjoyed you there, David. Well, I appreciate that. I, pre- I appreciate them too. I've been reading the comments and again, you know, if I would have paid more attention to high school, you know, of, of typing <laughs> in my typing class, um, <laughs> yes. I, I, I would be much, I'd be much better at responding to all of you. <laughs> no worries, David. They, they like you regardless. Once again, thank, thank you so you. <laughs> much for being a part of the program, David. We will do it again in the near future. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. You got it, brother. Take care. You too. Thank you. Mahalo. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was... Dr. David Proden, PhD. And uh, yes, I still have him up here on Zoom. And I do want to thank him and thank all of you out there for being a part of the program as well. It's been a fun time. And before we pull this Larry Silverstein style, I do want to thank all of you out there in the chat room, those of you who will listen to the podcast rendition of this program. Much thanks to you. And of course, I must thank... Our other friends that are listening to us on TalkStream Live in due time, yes, you can listen to this program on TalkStreamLive.com. And of course, we have found ourselves another home on the Conspiracy Radio Network, which is 24-7. You can go there anytime you'd like and uh, listen to all kinds of shows, many familiar faces, familiar voices you might have heard of in the past. Yes, CRN. Look for us there. And of course, how can I forget those of you out there who are a part of the Patreon series? I do want to thank all of you out there for supporting the program through Patreon. It's been fun and lots of content coming to you very, very shortly over on Patreon. I believe Mike Hideous will be joining me on a very special Patreon series. 
Hope you guys sign up. And of course, I'm looking at the time. Yes, it is almost 9.30. That means it is time for me to wrap it up once again. Boys and girls, it's been fun. We will do it again on the other side. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo.